This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers, adult language, and mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome to a podcast of Rare Antiquities. Today, we boldly go where we've never gone before. Television and the all-new, all-streaming TV series Star Trek Discovery. I will be your captain for this brief voyage, Jeff. And I am craving the blood of a live Kolar beast. This is Harry. And I'm beaming down to play some Fizzbin with these guys. <laughs> hey, uh, welcome to the show, guys. We are definitely deviating from our regular, regularly scheduled programming to delve into Star Trek Discovery, the series premiere, because obviously we're, we are all such big Star Trek fans. So this is uh, sort of an exciting time, first time we've really ever got a chance to talk Trek. I thought we'd start the show off a little bit here. We don't want to take too much time, and I know we could probably do an entire episode on this, but uh, let's maybe do part reminisce on Star Trek and what it means to you, and also, as is customary, just the lead-up to Star Trek Discovery and the hype and how you've been feeling about it. Harry, why don't you uh, do the honor of starting us off? Well, thank you for the honor, but we did do a whole episode on Star Trek if you recall. But that's okay. We can we can go through through it a little bit again. We did? Yeah. Are this you is, sure? This is episode 30, I believe. I'm not sure. Not 30, 20 or 25 or something around that. 22, 21. <laughs> one of those ones. <laughs> <laughs> one of those episodes 1 through 33 or whatever was. <laughs> yeah. well, we've never specifically talked about a specific movie or episode of the series. No, so this well, is we a- didn't go into uh, any episode by episode thing. But we did talk about all the series and Discovery, a lead up to it or the anticipation of it. But that's okay. Let's quickly touch on it again. It's a pleasure. Uh, Yeah, Star Trek for me growing up was only a staple of my childhood. Like it was for a lot of kids growing up in the, for other people in the 60s and 70s, for me, the 80s. Caught the original series on uh, rerun all the time, mostly on Saturday mornings. Once the cartoons were, were done in the morning, hit lunchtime, and just before I would actually step outdoors and get some fresh air, and you know, the cocoon would open and I would come out. <laughs> but, <laughs> just ooze out in a yeah, puddle of goo. Yeah, yeah, but um, I would watch uh, Shatner to prepare me for the adventure on the outside of my house. Unfortunately, I think it failed, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, I watched that and then TNG and uh, all the rest of the shows. Just uh, Ed, Enterprise is kind of the one I really haven't paid too much attention to. Might be blasphemy coming from a Trek fan, but yeah, still haven't gone through all of Enterprise. But love the show, love the movies. It's such a big, encompassing topic that throughout last time we can't narrow it down completely, but it's always been a message of hope and humanity's potential. And I'll leave it at that. All right, Nathan, you're up. Yeah, I mean... Kind of similar to Harry, you know, I uh, grew up with catch reruns of the original series. I wasn't as familiar with the animated series. I think I was vaguely aware of it and maybe, rem- I don't know, I might have seen like one or two episodes when TNG hit. I think that's when I got more obsessed with track and like, oh, I want to know more about this world, started buying books each series came out you know i might you know have you know maybe dropped off a little bit you know in the middle of of the series but then you know i'd pick it up towards the last few seasons i've been pretty consistent with watching each uh series since the start of of tng and was kind of like the start of like my nerd 
on being obsessed with with uh, continuity shows and also like the movies I'm, like a huge fan of the original series movies I would watch them endlessly yeah i i know that you know mom was a big fan of the original series so i i think we were we would have been exposed to that growing up uh, she watching. brags about it yeah, yeah brags about exposing it. us to it and rightly right this so, day that is Oh yeah. Oh, that's yeah, great. Sure. Yeah. No, it's uh and and as she should that her parenting highlight in fact the crowning <laughs> achievement. And and now that I say that, I think I regret it because I actually just told her that we did this podcast about an hour ago that uh, we've been doing this for 2 years. So she's going to hear this episode and might not be too happy that I just said that, but uh, that's a compliment to her and to uh, everybody. So wait, do we have to how clean do we have to keep this then cuz now Well, it's that that, that <laughs> ship is I'm on the show. I'm on the show. You'll have to edit me out completely. <laughs> she's fine. She said she's fine with you doing it, Harry, because she's not that connected with whatever you say. But uh, she asked me why I hadn't told her. Uh, uh, but we have we've been doing this for a while, and I because it's not PG thirteen. So, but uh, so be it. And it's it, no Star Trek is is great. It's unique in its optimism of the future. I, I know for me, and I, I think I did mention this before when we did talk about it, is uh, I credit and blame Star Trek for some of my preparation into the world because I did not, I wasn't ready for some of the things that, are, that do still exist in the world. Like when I went out into the world, like I thought, I actually believed that racism and sexism and antagonism and all those things were, I believe that those were a thing of the past already well into my teenage years because of star trek i thought that those were already we'd already taken care of that shit and and that's just a credit to uh, how effective star trek has portrayed that future and how effective that's been it's a great ideal and yeah i mean i've i've definitely seen every single hour of uh, of star trek that's been produced not that familiar with the animated series it's kind of an aside but, but yeah it's really exciting to to be here now with trek back on on television it's great where it belongs it's a great time you know it belongs back yeah. here especially after where the abomination of jj's trek but a hundred percent yeah <laughs> well we can <laughs> Here's the thing. Take well, that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's a that's a third podcast after talk about this and then talk about uh, Star Trek canon and then we can talk about J.J. Abrams and Star Trek. <laughs> well, uh, well I think I think we'll so. have plenty to talk about when we get to episode nine because J.J.'s back there. Well, I should have crossed the streams again, but there you go, little boy. Well, we'll get we'll get uh, and I, I I'm sure it's going to come up uh, for sure here. So I'm I'm ready to dive in, guys. Is there anything else? that uh, either you want uh, just to say off the top before we, we jump in. I've got a, a synopsis here which is peppered with my clever Star Trek jokes. Uh, uh, any Anybody want to roll up before I start? You, no, I, I do want to second uh, what Harry said about like TV is where Star Trek belongs and it's that that's its true strength. Yeah. I would just say this like it's just it's good to see it back on TV and and especially you know after JJ's Trek not it's not that how insulting or how action packed or off target it has been with respect to intellectual philosophical ideals I'm just anticipating and excited that hopefully we will you know we can talk about if this episodes that we're going to discuss today has any of that but I'm hoping we get back to some more exploration of the human condition. And that's what I'm more excited mm-hmm. about, too. In yeah. this, along with some you know, hopefully interesting science fiction tapestry, too, I think. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Star Trek Discovery, Part 1, A Vulcan Hello, in deep space, 
A new Klingon prophet is looking to make Kronos great again. He wants to unite the disparate 24 houses of the Klingon Empire against a new threat, the United Federation of Planets. Sure, those humans say they come in peace, but what they really want is to steal individuality away from the galaxy and homogenize all of the species under the Federation banner. In Federation space, Captain Philippa Georgiou and Commander Michael Burnham of the Federation starship Shenju are on a routine mission to help some aliens in a desert survive some drought. A pretty standard B storyline on an episode of The Next Generation. After serving together for seven years, Captain Georgiou is doing her best to Captain Picard Commander Burnham's Rikering about finally taking her own command. That conversation doesn't have far to go, however, as the two end up stranded on the planet due to interference from a coming storm. Captain Georgiou has the situation under control. She must have been a boss at the Etch-A-Sketch when she was a kid, as they trace out a nice big Delta shield in the sand. To signal the ship. Back on board the Shenju, this crew wittily banters their way through some techno babble, and science officer Lieutenant Saru says some tech about some tech, and oh, a Federation beacon has been damaged. Maybe we should go check that out. Since sensors are not operating due to the radiation of the nearby binary star system, Commander Burnham drew a sweet Stark Industries meet Star Trek First Contact spacesuit to go grab a closer look. What she finds out in space is some kind of ancient alien structure etched with all kinds of weird symbols, and oh, hey, look at that. A huge Klingon warrior with a big sword and dressed in thick space armor. He's not out here to win a battle tournament, and it doesn't look like he's going to invite Commander Burnham over for a glass of prune juice, either. He makes an aggressive move, but thanks to her quick thinking, she impales the poor bastard on his own sword and jets back to the Shenju. Cue the flashbacks. Remember that weird Vulcan school from Star Trek 09, where all the Vulcan kids are studying holograms and those half-spheres on the floor? Well, that's where young Michael Burnham is, figuring out pi to the 89th digit and defining Kieran Kinthaw's first law of metaphysics. But how does she feel? Not good, it seems. You see, she is the lone survivor of a Klingon raid that took the lives of both of her parents. So she's been raised by the Vulcan, Sarek. Yep, that's Sarek to follow the teachings of Vulcan logic. Burnham awakens in her back chamber and rather emotionally races to the bridge to warn the crew that there be Klingons here, and maybe she kind of sort of cooked a fool in the process. Totally in self-defense, though. Totally. Then, a huge Klingon warship decloaks in space with the Klingon leader, Takuma, aboard. They aren't accepting any voicemails at the moment, though, so it's time to contact Starfleet Command for guidance. Beaming in on Emperor Palpatine hologram is Admiral Brett Anderson. Yeah, he looks like a Brett. Burnham is not too optimistic about a peaceful solution here. That Klingon warrior was not out for a friendly game of Parisi Squares. Now, now, let's not make assumptions about race, says the Admiral, and signs off. Now, thanks, Brett. Commander Burnham cautions, though, it's unwise to confuse race and culture. She skips back to her own quarters to call up her Vulcan daddy. He relates a little anecdote about Vulcan first contact with the Klingons. When the Vulcans first encountered them, things didn't go so well, so they learned from that experience and flipped the script on subsequent encounters. The Vulcans would forevermore shoot first. In the captain's ready room, Burnham is arguing for giving the Klingons a little Vulcan hello, but Captain Georgiou isn't willing to be the aggressor. Starfleet doesn't shoot first. Okay, you win, Captain, says Michael Burnham. I'm just going to rest my hand on your shoulder here to steady myself. And oh, shit, she just Vulcan nerfed her Captain. Seriously, she went down like a punk rocker on a city bus. Burnham rushes out to the bridge and orders an attack on the Klingon ship. Everyone's a little too confused, and Lieutenant Sir is so quick to act on these crazy orders. Burnham gives the order, fire, but not before the Captain, looking a little worn out, but still brandishing a phaser, relays the order and asks just what the hell Burnham thinks she's doing. They don't have time to debate much, as two dozen Klingon ships warp into the sector, each of them staring down the Shenju. To be continued in Part 2. Part 2! A battle at the Binary Stars. Aboard the Klingon ship, Takuma and his funky, the albino Klingon Vok, 
try to convince the leaders of the other Klingon houses that it's time to unite against these white bread Federation types. Before you know it, we'll all be drinking root beer. Just you watch. The Starfleet reinforcements arrive. <laughs> you like that one? I like that oh, one. Yeah. <laughs> well done, well done. As Starfleet reinforcements arrive, Captain Jonju sends Burnham to the brig, then holograms over to the Klingon ship. Listen, says the captain. You guys are kind of on our lawn right now, and either you step off, or we can jam for a bit, figure this whole thing out. Also, sorry we killed that guy that time. After all, we come in peace. And that was just the signal the Klingons were waiting for, and they opened fire on the Shenju and the rest of the Federation fleet. The Shenju takes heavy damage across all decks, stranding Burnham in the brig, and sending some poor crew members out to the vacuum of space. They didn't even have time to hand out any red shirts. As the Shenju faces destruction, they're rescued at the last second by the USS Europa and Admiral Brett Anderson. Now it's his turn to hologram over to the Klingon ship to put an end to all of this. With all of his Zap Brannigan looks and charm, he proposes a ceasefire. Yeah, sure, says Takuvma. No problem. We totally won't fire any more lasers. And they don't. Instead, Takuvma orders one of his cloaked ships to cut the USS Europa in half by ramming it. The ensuing explosion has brought the Shen- has bought the Shenju some time. And the brig Commander Burnham drops a Jim Kirk logic bomb on the computer and talks it into letting her go. Sure, the force field was about to blow- fail anyway, blowing her out into the cold vacuum of space. But it's still nice to know a computer can be talked to death. Burnham makes her way to the bridge, and it's time to hatch a plan to get the hell out of here alive. Captain Georgiou's plan is to fly a photon torpedo into the Klingon flagship, but Burnham argues that it will simply make Takuma a martyr for all time, a symbol that the Empire can unite around and fight to the death for. Instead, if we can capture him, it will mean great dishonor and get the Federation leverage in negotiations. All right, good plan. The Shenju disables a Klingon ship by beaming a warhead onto a deceased Klingon warrior that was being retrieved. After the explosion, the captain and first officer beam over to the ship, and it's not long before they are engaged in mortal combat with Takuvma and Vok. Burnham manages to, to disable Vok and grabs her baser to help her captain, but it's too late. She watches as Takuvma plunges his blade into Captain Georgiou's heart. If she were human, I believe her response would be, go to hell. Oh, wait. She is human, and her, her response is totally go to hell. She switches her phaser to kill and lights that Klingon up like a J.J. Abrams lens flare. I guess that makes the Kuvma a martyr for all time, a symbol that the Empire can unite around and fight to the death for. Lieutenant Sarum reads no life signs from the captain and beams Commander Burnham to the ship before she can retrieve the body. The Klingons and Federation fleet each withdraw, but certainly the fight has only begun. Commander Burnham stands before her court-martial and pleads guilty to all of the charges. Seriously, they pressed all of the, the charges against her. She probably even has to pay for the broken computer she logic-bombed. She's stripped of her rank and position and sentenced to life in prison. Okay, thanks for watching. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo, sir. Yes, very good. I'm kind of glad that you were able to drop the uh, make Kronos great again because I was worried I wouldn't be able to make that joke in here <laughs> in, a, in a natural way. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's uh, yeah. Proud moment for me, gentlemen. Very much for appreciating. <clears throat> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So that's the uh, that's the synopsis there. I mean, obviously, I uh, I poked a little fun at uh, uh, some of the events and 
and situations there. But let's kind of dive right right into it. It's actually hard to, to figure out where to start. But Nathan, why don't you give us your initial uh, thoughts on story kind of breaks down there and, and if this is a compelling concept for you to want to watch. Yeah, well, you know, I'm kind of of two minds about it a little bit because I think as a as a science fiction premise uh, this this really works for me but it's kind of as a Star Trek premise it has a few flaws naming the first one is that right from right from the word go well not I'm exaggerating of course but we're going to start with a mutiny in order to attack uh, another race and I, I get it like there's some of the, the, you know, they're kind of maybe banking a little bit on, uh, okay, these are the Klingons. They're traditionally like uh, bad guys, especially in this era of Trek. I mean, but but overall, I mean, I felt compelled. I mean, I, I try and drop a little bit of the Star Trek fandom just a little bit in order to kind of get, you know, involved with some of the characters. And I felt uh, many of the characters and their motivations, even though we only really know a few kind of worked for me. You know, we had we had some interesting premises. I mean, despite maybe a few, some some clunky dialogue uh, to begin with. I I guess maybe my only other kind of gripe is that we also know that this is not this is not like traditional track where we're going to have twenty plus episodes. We're going to have what is it eight or nine episodes? Now just was it fifteen? I thought it was less than that. Okay, well, okay. You know what? Forget that. I was going to say that I was like, okay, why are we spending two episodes? Premise. It kind of feels like we start the episode almost should have been at like the second half of the second episode Mm -hmm. in order to and then maybe we could kind of uh, go back uh, to some of the events that lead to what what Burnham's character was doing because I find her as a very compelling character, very interesting character. But unlike what we would normally have in Trek, there's really no there's not enough examination of what her motivation is. I kind of get it. Like there's some shorthand there because I understand Trek a little bit. It's like okay, like she's kind of walking, uh, you know, this this these two worlds, being human and kind of also being raised Vulcan is sort of a reverse of a little bit of like Spock in, in some ways, but I just didn't feel like there was enough exploration of that. Other than that, I mean, just, just kind of watching it, like my initial impression was like, well, this is actually uh, probably one of the stronger Star Trek pilots I've seen, mm-hmm. uh, despite some of the other problems. Yeah, it. Uh, I mean, it is... I think the structure is uh, like it's designed to be a 13 episode season with this two episode prequel movie premiere. I think that's kind of the kind of what we're seeing here. But um, yeah, well, that's actually an interesting way to, to, to put it as kind of a prequel because they also do away with the other thing that we often see in Star Trek is that we introduce all the characters like the main the yeah. main cast that we're normally going to expect to see for the rest of the series because there were times when. You know, there was the guy who visited her when she was the the brig. It's like, oh, okay, this guy's important. Oh, wait, no, he's dead. Okay, well, okay, forget that then. And that was kind of an interesting way to sort yeah. of introduce some of these characters because other other than Burns' character Michelle Yao, who I mean, I, I you know, I watched the odd uh, Hong Kong movie and I really like her and some of those things. And Doug Jones, I mean, they had kind of a nice interaction. There was a lot of nice chemistry there, but we don't see a lot of the other characters. They're on the bridge. They're around and. You know, you don't know who's important, who's not, which is a bit of a, a little bit divergent for, for track. But I like that actually mm-hmm. a lot because yeah. it's not following that, that same formula. So it, it's changing it up a little bit. But uh, yeah, again, like there, there's something that's very not Star Trek about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think I just kind of point to, again, like, you know, this idea of you're, we're going to mutiny, we're going to attack. 
unfortunately, they, you know, because we see the other side with the Klingons, you know, we we kind of see that, well, they're going to attack. So, like, well, not, maybe nobody's going to really notice. So, it's going to be kind of okay in our minds. But from, from that perspective, I, I, I think that we... We missed the examination of, of why we're, we're going to do this thing, which would be a little bit more Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Harry, what, uh, you know, just your sort of initial thoughts on, on the synopsis and not like just, just kind of going as it's compelling and, and, uh, all, all, of our, all of our usual opening, opening comments. Initial thoughts, synopsis. Um, this sounds like a very action packed couple of episodes. And that's the first thing that is really striking about. Not just the way it played out, but through your synopsis. It sounds very future film-like. And also, I'm picking up a lot of strong allegories or commentary on the nature of war, politics, you know, kind of racial, uh, you know, antagonistic feelings here. Uh, it's, these are just kind of like the first words that kind of pop into my head when I hear that synopsis yeah. and then thinking back onto, onto what I saw. And then in addition, just the feeling that, um, and we'll talk about this is the, that this is a prequel. So a lot of things change mm-hmm. and then we're going to be actually leading into the show. So this is all very, very unique and a first for Star Trek in terms of uh, a lead-off into a television series. It's very fresh, really unique, and uh, I'm interested. And we'll talk about how those feelings will progress and strengths and weaknesses as we continue. Right. Let's start the in-depth conversation here. I just, I mean, maybe a couple of uh, high-level things because uh, I, I kind of want to get a couple things, I don't want to say out of the way, like it's a chore. But uh, I, I did want to talk about the uh, title card sequence because that's a, a big part of all of the now six Star Trek series uh, that have come out, the, the music uh, and the uh, the imagery that we see during the Star Trek title sequence. So, Harry, what did, well, I don't think it's been talked about enough, to be honest with you. Uh, Harry, what did you think of the theme music and just the, the title card sequence? Yeah, I had heard a preview of the music uh, prior to watching this episode, and you get, definitely get the, the few notes of the original series um, theme, Star Trek theme, which I thought was very appropriate. It was nice. And then the rest of the theme kind of played out on its own title card and the music felt very modern. I liked how you got to see different pieces of, uh, you know, weaponry or, uh, you know, technology like the communicator kind of being pulled apart through the animation during the title card sequence. Mm-hmm. It was short and sweet. Uh, I liked it and I liked that it was fresh and different than everything we've seen before. Like if, for anyone, I don't know if I want to bring the Orville into this conversation. If you guys, any of you have watched that yet. May as well. Yeah, well, I've watched I've watched it anyway. Yeah, so their their title card sequence is very reminiscent of a mix of TNG and Voyager, where they go mm-hmm. out of their way to make it feel like one of those shows. Here, it's completely different, yeah. and I like that. I think it needed to be something different. But I liked it. Mm-hmm. I think it was very good. Not Probably not my favorite. Yeah. I mean, I loved the original series. At TNGs, I love the music, but the title card sequence on its own is kind of meh. I really, I think my favorite, with the with the exception of the original uh, the original series, is DS9. I really like DS9 mm. uh, quite a bit, especially when they up-tempoed the music after the first few seasons. Right. Uh, and they showed the Defiant, yeah. and I thought it was really, really good. Uh, Enterprise, I think, is the worst of the bunch. <laughs> but uh, Oh, my God. Uh, with with the Rod Stewart song there, but uh, I, I like what they were going for. Uh, to show the 
how history has led up to Enterprise. I thought that was clever, but it didn't work. Yeah. This, this was this was unique and, and it was very good. Happy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mostly agree. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the imagery. Again, it's, it is unique. It's a fresh take on it. The theme music, I really love that they brought some of the notes from the Alexander Courage theme in into it because we haven't we haven't heard those notes in a theme since uh, TNG. It doesn't yet have that that iconic hummability to it. Uh, we'll see if it you know it's only been one episode basically, so we'll see if it uh, grows on us a little more. But yeah, I, th- I think it's a really neat uh, design, really neat concept. I think it looks great. Yeah, as far as themes, I mean the themes. I think my favorite title card sequence is actually start is voyagers i really like that sequence and i even like the music from voyager but really strong all the way through except enterprise and the imagery is cool in enterprise and that song suck. that was terrible so thankfully oh my god it was so bad and then you know it was even worse when the uptempo did that and it was worse holy shit but Thankfully, they did not make the same mistake here again uh, with this title card. So, Nathan, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Oh, breaking news. Well, first of all, I just want to say... Rod Stewart was just hired to provide a song for episode three. <laughs> oh, <good>. oh, <laughs> Slam dunk. Well, you know what? In, in defense of Enterprise, I agree that Enterprise's title sequence is terrible, but I really like the Mirror Universe title sequence oh, where yeah, they, they change awesome. up. It's pretty badass, actually. Yeah. yeah, you know, for for Discovery, I don't know. I mean, I'm not too hot on the actual music itself. I think it's fine, but it feels more like kind of like background music. But I will say that the actual visual sequence of it is really amazing, and I'm glad that they they changed it up. And you guys touched on it; like it's very fresh, like it, it's something different because they could have totally gone the way of every other Trek series and like you know just shots in space and flying around and we're doing stuff and we're having fun. But it was kind of nice to see like these weird, almost like schematic diagrams and and it almost and with a combination of you're looking at X-ray rays in a way a little bit. Realized, and I thought it was a really smart way to do it. Uh, I did one thing I really appreciated at the end of the sequence, you get a bit of a traditional flyby in front of like the camera. That was really smart. I thought I was like, Oh, yeah, it's a great shout out to the other series that, that do that. But the music, I'm not entirely sold on it yet, because it's not something I would immediately recognize the way I recognize original series TNG, well, all of them other than the terrible enterprise sequence. But I mean, um, yeah, I don't mean, you know, I mean, maybe it'll grow on me. You know, these are many common complaints, I think, when DS9 rolled out, you know, before I, I can't remember what season it was when they actually. It was uh, season four when uh, Worf joined. Yeah. That's when, right. that's when it changed. Yeah. It, okay. Yeah. And I think I think that was actually a great improvement, but I still actually do like the song, like in the earlier seasons. But you know, many people complained about it, so I don't know. Maybe it'll grow on us. You know what they should have done in Enterprise when they did the Mirror Universe episodes is, is they sh- instead of like the soft rock garbage, they should have had just like hard metal, like this, or <laughs> it's like white zombie, like that. Just, yeah, just, white zombie, yeah. yeah. Just, just banging in it out, like just shredding a guitar over that whole thing. No, no, that no, I think awesome. the appropriate but, thing would have uh, been Beastie Boys. Oh, yeah, that was, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you listening to me, You listening? Sabotage? <laughs> Sabotage? Sabotage. Anyway. Sabotage. Uh, Sabotage. Sabotage. So let's, uh, uh, so that's just one thing I wanted to kind of uh, get out of the way because I want to talk, make sure we didn't forget it. So let's get into the show here, guys. We open on a scene with uh, uh, Takuma, the Klingon Donald Trump, trying to 
or speaking to his uh, disciples there. So the first thing we see is this new Klingon design. Let's talk about the Klingons a little bit. So uh, I just wanted to talk about the makeup design, cost on the sets, and uh, just everything Klingon first second here uh, i guess i'll go first this time so well, first thing i noticed as we kind of uh, the first shot sort of pulls out it's sort of a space scene there with the planets we pull out and it's uh Chikubma's eye and if he was i don't know if he was just wetting like shack in the fourth quarter here or what he was shiny and dripping it was just strange it struck me so the, the makeup but he's believing design was, was just not? really odd He's believing? It's, it's like one of or those, believing. you know, no, no, believing. Like, you know how believing. he's so obsessed and he's such a believer. Like, wasn't that shot through his eye, kind of his, kind of his inner workings that he believed so much in Stovacor and the Klingon belief that it's almost like a commentary on religion to unto itself, where you see all these churches, they believe and they shake and they cry and they sweat. If you've seen uh, those documentaries, uh, and this is like one of those things. Yeah, that was what I, I thought it was too. Like he, he was like in like a weird sweat lodge, and he was like gonna start. Well, he was kind of speaking in tongues, but then he was gonna like pull out a, like a snake and shake it or something like that. Yeah, yeah. or a targ or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, what? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing. This is not clean on blood, <laughs> yo. <laughs> That's uh, that's a really interesting take. I never, I did not have that. Uh, I didn't see that, but now that you pointed that out, that uh, makes me like that scene even more. I, I found the Klingons. Uh, I don't want to start off on a negative note too much, but I found that their their manner of speaking. I, I mean, I want everybody to look like Worf at this point, you know, because that's, that's the Klingon that I grew up with, and I understand that we're kind of past that time. But I found them to be like when they spoke. It wasn't very, it wasn't, you know, Klingon's not a smooth language, but it wasn't smooth enough, and they, it felt almost over-designed. Everything was pointy and sharp, and, I mean, it was great. Obviously, a lot of work went into it. It was very art- uh, artistic, and a lot of effort went into it, but I th- I thought it was almost a little too much. And, you know, the Klingons are a very familiar aspect of, of all of Star Trek, right, from day one to now. And, and this seemed to me the least familiar piece of it like these guys these were you know a race of whatever not klingons and i i wouldn't have thought oh these guys kind of look like klingons like they didn't they didn't feel klingon to me so what did you guys think nathan what, what did you think about that well starting with just the the overall makeup and just the design this new design for klingons i don't know I, i've kind of really back and forth with okay like i i hate it i just why why can't they just make them look like wharf you know because we we kind of i i get that they kind of retconned uh, a little bit that with with klingons so it's like well why not just keep that so i'm like well okay fine you know it's not they look terrible necessarily but like all right we're gonna go with it but i agree with you that the way that they spoke was so labored that i mean i was losing my mind while like watching it and i I don't really understand that because when you um, there's many great episodes in uh, DS9 where you have people speaking in Klingon and it feels very natural and even when they don't even have uh, subtitles in some of those shows it like it, it's a more natural way of, of of saying it but this 
it was so unnatural for these actors to be uh, speaking in this tongue. I, I did kind of like the, the weird costumes that they, they wore. I could sort of believe that, okay, this is like, you know, maybe what Klingons wore a few hundred years ago. Felt more kind of regal. Maybe this is their Victorian era a little bit. Mm. I did not like the design of wherever the hell they were standing on. It was like, it was like what, where is this? Is this the bridge or something like that? Because it seemed like the, they're kind of people doing work on the on this yeah on this stage of sorts the only other kind of complaint i had i'm I'm not like someone who normally complains about um subtitles necessarily but i i I don't know maybe we could have switched it to english a little bit because i like i like to see the actors in their eyes and stuff like that especially under all the heavy makeup have some stuff in klingon and then i think that might just be my setup when i watch it because i have such a big screen to watch on that i gotta look at like the bottom part and then i got i want to see their face and stuff but it was it was kind of an interesting way to start the show with very extremist types of of characters and the way he ends the scene when when they say they come in peace i'm like oh okay this is this isn't an interesting way to start off because you kind of know who they're talking about they're obviously talking about the federation by extension humans and and just this religious fervor that they they have i thought okay this is a pretty compelling way to start it because kind of you know as a star trek fan i kind of understand that okay this is like a real time of antagonism between federation and and klingon so Mm -hmm. yeah interesting yeah so harry what's your take on on the klingons well there's a lot there's a lot to digest here because first things first (laughs) is we start off with the klingons in what is essentially the pilot so when have we started off like obviously yeah. in motion picture we started off with the klingons right um and, and uh viger but in in the star trek show all of them started off with your heroes right and your ship mm-hmm. and your captain here we start off with what is essentially going to be the antagonistic presence of the show like the villains and in they're starting off not even speaking english so that's different it's fresh and i liked it and the fact that they're speaking completely in klingon except for a couple of phrases when they actually address the humans uh, or themselves and they say the phrase we come in peace they're not dumbing it down for the general audience and i love that you know how nathan you said how we're used to in previous trek shows and movies klingons will say a few phrases in Klingon and then they're it's shown to be authentic but then they switch to English the actors switch to English for the rest of the conversation just for the mass the masses who are watching that's good because you know we can relate a little bit more and the actors can you know portray emotion a little bit easier but I liked it here in the sense that they were they went full out it was Klingon all the way through and they they even though I agree with you Jeff I didn't like the way they they were speaking it it didn't feel as natural, and that might have been just a bit of an inexperience with the actors or a purposeful direction with the uh, from the director because they want to make it now sound different, which is strange because Klingon is a mm-hmm. you know a, a now a actual language that they that they have made in reality. So to supplement uh, Star Trek, but I I enjoyed it because it what they weren't dumbing it down for me, and I had to read mm-hmm. subtitles, and I liked that. That was great. But then the other thing uh, to talk about, I preferred if the, they looked the same way as they did in the previous shows, and if the uniforms were a bit more familiar. I didn't mind the uniforms, I got used to it. I agree with you, Nathan, I didn't like the stage where they were in, because it's supposed to be in a ship, but I thought they were on a planet, or in a room, somewhere. It turned out to be a ship, and it's like, I, I would have liked to have seen a bridge or something. What struck me the most out of this opening scene was it felt like a terrorist group convincing other disciples to join them. That's mm-hmm. what it felt like to me. Like this Takuvma guy yeah. was, you know, Baghdadi addressing his disciples, convincing them we are now going to lead an attack. Like 
not directly, and not it's not a, a direct comparison, but that's what it felt like. This felt like a recruitment video, and I'm wondering if that was done mm. on purpose. And, it, and to me, it feels like it was. I don't know what you mm. guys think. That, those that's are interesting. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's interesting. I, I hadn't had that perspective, but I mean, now that you say it that way, I mean, that's uh, with a recruitment video. I mean, that's a very interesting idea. And I, I do like the authenticity of it. They, they don't, they're not dumbing it down for us. I mean, some of us don't have the uh, the white people problems that Nathan has. Where all oh, my my big screen's so large, I can't look at the actors' eyes. Guys, it's a real problem. I mean, I'm trying to my best. Actually, Harry, I think you brought like a couple of great. Really think of something, but like actually, the first thing I thought was more like more of a clandestine sort of meeting. The way I think we'll maybe get into this, but I kind of this is sort of how I feel. KK. AK members are going to gather and talk about stuff and like, okay, we're going to bring in some of these other groups and, and disparate groups that are sort of aligned, but they're not like necessarily with us. And as far as the way they talk, I, I'm more of the mind that it was more of a direction thing because all the, the actors spoke like this. So I think that the, I can't remember, I don't know who directed these episodes, but I think it's like, okay, we're going to kind of do this to make it, and I don't know if it was like to make it feel more more alien. I think it was just more jarring for those of us who have seen people speak in Klingon. By the way, check out Duolingo.com where you can learn many languages, including Klingon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I am made by by Duolingo. It, it is a real language now, I guess. But I mean, you know, again, and Harry brought up a great point. This is very fresh. This is something we have not seen before, and it's kind of something that that Trek needs. We can quibble about if it feels like star trek but like this is the sort of injection that that trek needs mm. yeah yeah no that's that's some good points i let i'm sure we'll come back to the klingons here i kind of want to skip our introduction to captain georgiou and burnham our desert world here we just have some an exposition dump but this is just sort of uh, coming in at the, the start of a mission here i don't well okay actually can we talk I, about one thing yes. about it yeah, the design of those aliens. Okay. I thought I thought that was because I I've been trying. I'm doing a little bit of research. I'm not entirely certain, but I think it's a lot of practical effects for those weird crustacean-like aliens on those on the planet. I thought it was a great design. I mean, mm. the rest of the scene I don't don't really think worked all that well because some pretty clunky dialogue. But I mean, what do you guys feel about like the design of those aliens? I thought it was really great. I you hardly, know, I hardly it, uh, saw it. Like it was except when they approached the well. Then you get like a yeah. Well, that's the that's the it. that's the part I thought really great, neat alien design, and I think it kind of set the hopefully it sets the tone for more than just latex glued to someone's forehead for a change. <laughs> yeah, you know what I, I I agree with Harry there. It it disappeared for me because it the, it's like actually the dialogue, a, kind of a terrible scene because the dialogue. I hated this. Well, that's I, really I think that was I a terrible hated. terrible exposition. Yeah. Well, not only that, the exposition, this whole set piece was absolutely atrocious the acting the directing the exposition the dialogue i mean terrible yeah the, the whole scene was was silly terrible so and i, I, agree, I believe in a shot in jordan yeah they, they went all the jordan. way to jordan and meant like met uh, like uh one of the princes of jordan i believe came out who, who's a huge fan mm. of star trek came is like you guys went all the way out there for this this is what you came up with and I, this is again like when when it started with this i'm like oh boy here we go yeah you we'll never get in another star trek series that's true i agree i think that alien did look the, the design looked really cool now that i think back was a was really cool design it looked good like it wasn't i thought i i was thinking back because i just did a run through both voyager and enterprise this this year watching enterprise with the zindi 
and the CG species that were there, and they were just terrible, terrible oh, yeah. design and production value. They looked so cheap, and this was top-notch design. The one thing that I did, that they start here, and hell, we'll talk about it here, because they, they did talk about it or reference it a couple times, is that we know that uh, Commander Burnham has been serving aboard this ship for seven years, and I'm positive they chose that number on purpose because that was the length of TNG, DS9, and Voyager. The seven was a seven-year time frame. So I got the impression, like, it's almost like this. It's foreshadowing. That's nice. The, the series alley of Star Trek Shenju. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, you're um, absolutely right. That's a great right, catch. Yeah, and I, I really like that. Only instead of all good things or, you know, what happy... Well, we'll get to the ending after, but uh, I, thought, I thought that was done on purpose there, so I thought that was kind of neat. I mean, uh, Okay, but only now imagine that uh, the end of uh, TNG, with all good things, Riker takes a, takes over the Enterprise. That's and the Enterprise explodes. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But that, well, so we'll talk about that later. But, but if you do think about it that way... How that's actually much pretty, gut punch is it? It is. It's a great gut punch. I love that. That's actually, I had not thought of that. That's a pretty big thing. That's you want to talk about. <laughs> so we, we do finally, I mean, the, the one, the, the shot where the Shenzhou comes through the atmosphere and you get a couple notes of the Star Trek theme, I thought that was, uh, that, that tugged at the heartstrings a little bit for me. I thought that was a very cool little moment there, a little emotional. But anyway, we get, we do get back to the ship. We kind of get into the main story there. So we meet Lieutenant uh, Saru, I believe it is pronounced, played by Doug Jones, uh, who's our token alien. And, and this is where the, the conflict begins. So we, we need to go investigate this Federation beacon that's been binged. And uh, so uh, so a star, standard Star Trek type mission. They get some witty banter on the bridge. How did how did you guys feel the banter played out uh, in, in these couple scenes here, Harry? What was your thoughts? I really liked it. I was surprised um, in the trailers. And th- actually... I have a bone to pick now, now that I remember this is one of the points I mm. had in the back mm. of my head is I think that marketing really did a disservice to the first two episodes of the show to really lure in some other people because the way the way it was marketed is even though they were showing the scenes that we were seeing, but they re- weren't really showing some of the details that I really wanted to see. And I was a bit worried. And then now I'm watching the show and I'm seeing some mm. extra detail on the consoles and the captain's chair and and some of the other stuff, and, and and it looked great. It looked like a good bridge between Enterprise and what would become the original series. Because you know everyone's going to gripe about oh you know it's it looks so modern that it can't the how can the original series come next or how can it be part of this timeline? But we have to also make it a modern show. It can't look like that. So I thought they did an mm-hmm. okay job in in bridging that gap. I think they could have done something a bit more with the uniforms to kind of bridge that gap even though I like the way the uniforms look, but I thought the set design was good. I didn't like some of the camera angles that the director was using. You know, it felt very JJ, Mm. very kinetic, very dynamic, very, you know, he's trying to do too much with the camera. Overall, not bad. Uh, And I like some of the dialogue. I really enjoyed Saru. I thought in the original marketing material, he was going to be my most hated character. And I still hate that line. Oh, I sense death is coming. That's what my species does. Terrible fucking line. Are you kidding me? And that's what they use to market the show. <laughs> but I like the original yeah. um, back and forth here, how he's kind of, he's scared of everything. And I, yeah. I, and I liked it. I liked I liked his lines here. He was, he appealed to me as a character. I think he's going to be interesting and he'll, he'll be the humorous one. He's kind of, this kind of reminds me of C-3PO in a sense. I just hope they don't <laughs> overdo it. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I enjoyed the first scenes yeah. here and I, enjoyed- that's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. He, he totally is 3PO. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I, but I enjoyed I enjoyed the, all this all the the banter back and forth. There's a good kinship between Georgiou and or what was it Georgiou? Was it uh, yeah. Captain Georgiou yeah. and Burnham? Georgiou, yeah. And, and it was some not the greatest acting, but the people are still trying to find their rhythm. So I'm going to forgive it for the first first few episodes of this series. I mean, you know, people need to find their place. And get used to th- used to things. So I thought for the most part things were good. I'm really in agreement with Harry about like just the general design and, and a lot of the dialogue and interaction on the bridge. I mean, I think it mostly kind of works. There's some clunky parts. I think having Doug Jones playing Alien is really neat because he's such like a weird physically. He's such a strange. But he's like a very skinny man and very tall. I thought his makeup was quite good. And, and like Harry, I kind of thought I was going to hate him based on the trailer. But I, like it was like oh. Oh, okay, he's kind of endearing, kind of in a way where he's a bit of a C-3PO type of character. I did hate that line that he does later utter, like, uh, sense death. I'm like, well, well, why? I mean, like, <laughs> outside what? the ship? Come on. Oh, yeah. But I, I actually kind of feel like he may be a very compelling character, although I, I kind of hope they get into this thing where it's like, well, you know, going into space is sort of a dangerous business, even when you're with Starfleet, you know, and if you're that afraid of everything, don't they make? And I hope they kind of explore a little bit of that that, because I think that could be kind of interesting. They do make fun of them a little bit. No, no, but I think think even one of the characters, whether it was Michael or someone else, uh, said the exact same thing. Or no, it was the captain saying. I think it was captain. Yeah, yeah. I think they both do. I think they both (laughs) call him out on it. It's like, like, what are you doing here then? Yeah, what are you doing here then? That's like, was he there the whole seven years? Like. That was actually my, my one quibble about some of the dialogues. They've been together this long, but yet there's still a little bit of exposition. They try and like hide it a little bit behind some of the dialogue. And they've been, like after seven years, like, okay, like you, we've all worked with a bunch of weirdos after a little while. Like how often do you call them out after years of work? He's like, you just kind of put up with it and you just kind of deal with it. Right. I would have only um, have bought that the, the, line about the death is if it, if he was sensing Luwak's on a Troy coming. Then oh boy! Oh boy! <laughs> and she just waltzes on the bridge. Amazing. <laughs> Self-destruct. <laughs> Code zero. Um, zero. <laughs> he yeah, just, zero. Just, just, just puts himself in an airlock, and I just sense my death. <laughs> my, actually, my one quibble about the bridge design, it's one of the things I did not really care for with the J.J. Abrams. It's like, this bridge is huge. Like, you can just take out all the consoles, and you could you could fucking play soccer in there. I mean, it's just a, such a huge bridge. And it's like, I, I kind of, I, I understand, like, in, in the past with the shows, like, you know, you build them on a bit more of a standard set. I, be, I imagine there's a lot of green screen that's going on uh, with Discovery. And it's like, well, you know, we don't have to be so constrained. But there's something that's so big and it feels unnatural with the bridge. It's like, that's a lot of wasted space. Like, that's 10 forward. That's 10 forward space you got going on there. That's not bridge space. And, and also, Harry, you brought up another good point where you have to sort of, you have to sort of bridge a gap between this and, and, and TOS. But you're never going to do that. You're never going to do that and have people believe it, the technology available. Like, so you have, have to make line. it a modern yeah. show. Yeah, you're you're in a win. You're in a, you're in a lose lose situation. Actually, you're either going to appease yes, the fans I, who who want that authentic bridge and believable. It's going to look like TOS, and then you're going to lose the modern audience saying this this looks like shit. Right? It's not modern. Absolutely. So, actually, as a Star Trek 
fan. I think they would even lose me if they made it look too much like the original Enterprise. Because I can watch TOS and enjoy it, but I kind of understand the context of it. But I would not want a new show, unless it's like some of the fan shows that but they kind of film, they put up on YouTube and stuff like that, and they have really good production design. I can kind of watch and appreciate it, but for a brand new show with the kind of money that, that it has for production design, if they, they did a, like a faithful recreation, I would lose my mind. Let's keep moving here. No, no, tell us your take. As far as the design of the bridge, I saw some of the behind-the-scenes stuff on how they constructed that bridge, and my God, did they go through a lot of work to construct that bridge for a ship that gets destroyed in the first fucking episode. I mean, <laughs> holy shit. Yet. I love the look of the bridge and it we may as well get it out of the way now I mean this the show does take place in the so-called prime timeline not the uh, Kelvin timeline but uh, again and I, I'm actually happy to know both of you right now that we're all willing to get past the design like it's not going to look like TOS and like that's just how it's going to be right so we can just kind of get through that it, it would have been neat if they'd been able to somehow from a design perspective resolve the look of this show with the original series but like Nathan said like that's just not going to fucking happen I mean it, it wouldn't look right and I think that they were smart to just let that go we can incorporate the sounds of the original series with the communicator and the doors opening and the, the pings on the bridge and things like that and that's about what we can do and that's great what i found most interesting is the style of cinematography this is aping jj abrams star trek 09 with the canted angles and the lens flare and the the bright you know, the lights and the transparent screens and all of that and i'm okay with that because i you know i didn't have a problem with that in the star trek movies you know it could be a bit be a bit much at times because it is very overt the, on the plus side, it looks very cinematic, which I think is a huge asset here. And, and I think that does, I think, help. They yeah. did it, they, and, and it helps. They did it this way because they knew that the new Trek movie, like Trekkies are coming no matter what to see this, to at least yeah. give it a chance, that, uh, at least for a few episodes. But they know the masses, if they check it out, it's probably, they want those masses who watch JJ's Trek, who are checking this out to say, oh, it's just like that. Okay, I'm in. Yeah. But they want to hook them yeah. up for the, the streaming access. CBS all yeah. access bullshit, and then they've got them where they want them. It's just like I've got you know you got them, Jim, where you want them, and it's <laughs> you know, yeah. and there you go. And so hopefully, yeah. my, my hope is is that other as episodes will continue on, and other directors are here. We'll get someone who's not trying to ape new trick. Have, yeah, have a different look or a look on his own. Yeah, I I agree, and I think like I and I can understand the perspective from CBS to go that direction to pull in some viewers and in all honesty the three guys sitting around doing a podcast about star trek here we want star trek on tv to continue for a long long time and if it means that we have to get a few new viewers we have to get new viewers in which it does if this is how they have to do it i'm okay with it because it still looks like a million bucks i'm fine with that and it'd be nice if they can slowly transition into something that's a little less uh, JJ-esque, uh, still modern, but something that might be more familiar to TV track while still looking, you know, high, high production yeah. values, right? But, so but I, not I think that's good. But not point and shoot either. Right. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. So, <coughs> so I mean, I think there's a, I think there is a medium there that can be found. I, I, I believe that that exists. So hopefully we do see that as, as sort of the proper series does continue. But conflict starts with 
basically an, an incident, sort of a random encounter in space. Michael Burnham goes out to investigate a strange anomaly, you know, destroyed Federation beacon and a strange anomaly in space. And we uh, we run into that a Klingon structure in space and that Klingon warrior there. And I thought he looked, I thought, I thought this guy looked pretty neat. I thought that was a cool scene with her out in space there. I mean, the effects are, are top notch. And I, I was actually really surprised at how great it did look for a TV series. One thing I was worried about was that CBS was going to do this on the cheap. And, and they did not. I mean, I don't know what the budget was for this. I couldn't find that information, but I think uh, today, man, it's, it's, I think uh, today I had heard rumor that it's about 15 million per episode. Wow. No way. 15 million. Maybe, maybe I'm mistaken. Or is that Game of Thrones? I, I, th- I read some kind of article. Yeah. I can't recall. Wow. I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's pretty great, actually, if they are, are going to commit to I, something I might like be wrong on that. Maybe is... I'm confusing it with Game of Thrones. There was an article today about something. I'm like half asleep. <laughs> As it is, I'm on my tent well, straight at work. So who knows what I mean? I mean, either way, they, I mean, <laughs> either way, it was expensive. Like they spent money on it. And that when it's, is, on, it's on the screen. Like they did, they did spend money. I don't know about well, that 15 million, but it's on the screen for sure. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. Thank you. It is on the screen, but no, I, but it, but it looks great. I mean, it looks fantastic. So anyway, let's, we kind of, we, uh, let's talk about the, 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 the flashback. So w- when Michael gets, uh, you know, she's bordering on radiation sickness, which is a tried and true Trek trope. Uh, should we get her, we get our flashback to the Vulcan elementary school, I suppose, those weird spherical uh, learning pods or whatever the fuck. And, and this is where we first learn that she is a survivor raised by Vulcans and, and sort of being brought up in the Vulcan logic uh, system here. So me personally, I mean, I thought this was an interesting flashback. I, I did think it was very interesting that they used the, the J.J. Abrams design here. I mean, I guess technically speaking, this would be in talking about the timelines diverging, the prime timeline and the Kelvin timeline, this would be a part of either timeline, so it's okay. But I did think it was interesting that they they used this. So again, I think it's another ploy to to kind of grab viewers who are interested in the movies. Or but I thought it was a set. good could be a leftover set. Yeah. Well, and that and <laughs> hey, we got to save money, and that that's possible as well. Uh, I I like this flashback because I think it helps circumvent some exposition because she's answering the questions there and they start asking her about what I took to be the incident that she was the survivor of. It's like, tell me about the incident of whatever Klingon raid on wherever, wherever, and she starts to get stumped. Like, how many survivors were there? And now, obviously, she's really uh, caught. And I, I love that. I love that technique of using that question to show us who she was and why she's being raised as a Vulcan there. So that I thought that was a neat little technique. And we get our first introduction to Discovery's version of good old Sarah, who's appeared in many a Star Trek series. Nathan, why don't you uh, just give me your opinion on on how that played out there and your opinion of Sarah? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of did like that they used uh, this particular set, I guess, from from the Abrams Star Trek, which I mean, I, I think it actually kind of worked like it, it seems kind of, you know, weird and alien, very kind of Vulcan-esque in a way, or maybe now I just see it that way. And you're right that this was an interesting way to sort of introduce her backstory because, you know, we've already, what minute are we at, you know, when we kind of get to this scene? Because we've already had some clunky exposition. And so, you know, we need to tell her backstory. And and this is just kind of a clever way of, of doing it. It's very obvious, <laughs> a very obvious way, because it seems very strange that you'd be asking uh, this is a test, I, I suppose. Like it's a very specific historical event that seems like it 
wouldn't be uh, it would be like a minor historical event but anyway you know seeing this small child like she got the vulcan haircut and she got the vulcan robes and now we're seeing our uh, latest uh, Sarah. And, you know, I think it's a pretty good introduction. The one thing we did kind of skip over that I did like, you know, before we got to the scene where she starts, even before the attack with the Klingon, like the whole idea of she's like, well, no, we should go investigating. So, you know, we kind of get that Star Trek, you know, we're out here, we're explorers, we're scientists, you know, that's our mission. But it's not necessarily, for me, it wasn't necessarily a, a great scene, but I think it was a great introduction to the backstory and it, and it kind of felt like it felt na- like a natural way to introduce it without you know more clunky exposition mm. yeah harry what, what about you what are your thoughts here the set is fine i'm just asking the question as to why we need to make her raised by a vulcan you know just a couple things it just feels like you know not desperation but like you don't really need to have her have that side of logic because we really want to explore the human condition. And and it'll be interesting to see how it progresses because the problem I see with this, unlike Spock, where we got a arc through the series and the movies and how he's dealing with logic or other people in the other shows and their irrespective arcs, but her she seems more balanced, like she's kind of absolved herself of the Vulcan way when we see mm-hmm. her in the future. Cause you see her in another flashback when she first um, boards, uh, joins the crew and the captain showing her around and she's very Vulcan. She's very, you know, stiff and rigid and, you know, as we would expect a uh, Vulcan to be unemotional. But then in reality, where she is in this time, the seven years she served there, she seems to have found that balance. So what arc are we really going to see? So is it really necessary? She seems to be very emotional. She doesn't have any emotion in check. And and I get the the reason what her uh, her point is because when we see the Klingons, that's kind of you know unravels her because it brings back all her memories of her family. So I, I guess that's something mm. something that would unravel her emotionally and lose that you know training and logic. Problem I see here is moving forward is what value is this going to serve the character? And we might get episodes like this. I'm just a little curious as to why we need to go down this route and why we even need to bring in Sarah again. Couldn't have been another Vulcan. Like we have to really make her Spock's kind of unrelated sister, like foster sister or stepsister or whatever you want to call it. I, I don't like this. It just reeks of desperation to me. I think the Sarek thing is desperation for sure. Like there's no like if you're going to kind of go down this route, like why make it Sarek? I mean, it's such a, like, it could be any other Klingon, yeah. but it's like, well, okay, we're going to tie it into the original series. Although I, I will disagree a little bit that I think that there, there are some elements of, of her character. And you're right that, like, we kind of see some progression from her as a child where she's just starting trying to, you know, she's trying hard to be more like a Vulcan. Then we do see her as very Vulcan-esque. And then, but then as in the actual regular timeline of, of, of the show, she's more embraced some of her humanity. So I think I'm kind of hoping it's kind of hard to tell now, like with just two episodes, I'm kind of hoping that the way the character will progress is that like, she's in this weird place where she's still like, I believe in, in logic. And it, she even says it to Sarah, like emotion forms my logic. And that was times a uh, Spock's deal. She kind of goes to these weird extremes because mutiny is not like a level headed thing to do. No. And, and, so I, I kind of, I'm kind of hoping. I think it could go real sideways on us, where it's like it's well, totally pointless. That's kind of yeah. my worry because you know, yeah. where are they going to go if they go anywhere? I mean, we have to yeah, give it time. And so we have to give it time. I, I, I agree. I'm, 
I'm willing to buy into it now. Like, we can kind of maybe learn a little more humanity where she's, like, kind of trying to battle these two forces in a way that it's a little bit different than what the way we saw the evolution of the Spock character. But for all we know, they're going to throw it out the window in the next episode. And it's like, yeah, that was entirely pointless and it's stupid. I think what's interesting is that we haven't, we've experienced the, we have Spock who's half human, half Vulcan, raised by Vulcans. You know, we've had uh, Worf, who was raised by humans. Odo, who was raised by Bajorans, who's a different race. So it's a, it's a theme that we've seen before, but we've never had a character who was human, who was raised by another red alien race. And I think, I see what you guys are saying, where it has a little bit of desperation, where we're, oh, we got Sarek now. But I think it's... It's a it's a decent place to go because we get to we're familiar with Vulcans and and you know if we're gonna have a situation where our protagonist is raised by a different species like we're we are trying to explore different aspects of diversity so sometimes I mean usually when we have diversity on TV and even on Star Trek it's like okay well there's a there's a Japanese guy on the bridge and there's a blind guy who's also black who's our chief engineer and and sometimes Star Trek sort of stops. At that level of diversity where we have a person of color as one of our heroes. And that's uh, like, and that's not a bad thing. Like, that's a good thing. But, and we'll, we'll get into this more later, but where Burnham says later, you, you know, you can't confuse race with culture. What we're doing now is we are going beyond just race and we're going with cultural diversity. So we, so we, we're getting our human protagonist, who's the person obviously we're going to try to identify with, who is raised in a different culture. So we get a different type of diversity and a different angle into it. And yeah, we were using a known quantity, Sarah, who's a Vulcan, in order, like as our doorway into that. <clears throat> but I think that that's a, I think that's a kind of a good way to go because we have to start with something familiar in order to bring the audience along so yeah we could have used any vulcan and we could have used any alien species really but you know we, we got to start somewhere so i'm all right with it being like this we need some we have some connective tissue with the original series with star trek as a whole so i think it's fine in that respect anyway that's my opinion on that so you know we we, we get into the klingon conflict so she there's no contact from the klingons michael wakes up in the in the chamber there she's getting zipped up from her radiation burns which i thought was kind of an 18 there from a, a, a special effects standpoint bit of a star trek trope where fuck you doctor i'm gonna go back to the bridge and damn the consequences but that's okay and we get michael's argument to the captain about the well we get the we get the admiral there who beams in and this is where we get the race versus culture so maybe this is where we should start about that i mean i thought that was a really really interesting concept to introduce here harry let's talk about race versus culture and and this concept introduced in a star trek concept here so what do you think well again this is it's race and culture right you know it's Mm. it's just the fear of the unknown is this the scene that now you have to refresh my memory so this is the scene where the admiral comes to the captain and says you know don't do anything we'll send back up and don't fire or or is this because they've encountered at this point they think she's killed the klingon correct yes this is after she She's killed the Klingon and, and brought back, back, and then she comes. Yeah. Okay. And uh, then, so she gets out of sick bay there, and but then she is she warning them it's the Klingons. Like I, I'm just for now. I just need to kind of uh, find my balance at where we are. Yeah, today. she's yeah she's warning them about the Klingons because they don't they don't recognize anything. They haven't seen the Klingons in a hundred years. There's this invisible ship that's in, you know out of nowhere. 
and she, you know, she says like, oh, I was kind of out there and I, I basically stabbed his ass and that's, that's kind of where we're at. So they call, they call the, the admiral to, you know, to consult because they're, 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 the communication signals are jammed. They can't communicate with the Klingons and answering hails. So they're consulting with, uh, with the hologram in her ready room. But this is, this is, they still realize it's, it's a Klingons are out there. They, they know, know it's, they know it's the Klingons now. Yeah. Oh, okay. And what did the admiral say again? Not to do anything, right? Yeah. Don't he's like, well, let's, and she's yeah, coming in and saying, chill. we need to fire. Well, right? she hasn't said we need to fire yet, but she's like, it's Klingons are aggressive. Like we need, you know, send reinforcements right now. Like this is going to be trouble. So, in, I believe yeah, that's how it played. Right. So, if, you know, the funny thing here is, is in reality, she's right. The way the show show progressed, Klingons were yeah. trouble, uh, and she was trying to save everybody. But what does that say about our tensions here on the in, in, on Earth in reality, where it's just like, oh, I see a different culture. Immediately, it's I'm scared. We should all be scared. We need to be aggressive. We need to protect ourselves. We got to fire first. Us first versus them. That's just kind of you know the starting point for where the show is going to go, and it's highlighting some of the themes that it's going to be talking about through the series, and you know yeah. how it'll progress through through the season or or through the series as a whole. That's kind of what we're going to find out. But right now, it looks like you know it's par for the course as per how things are in our world. Yeah, through military mm-hmm. encounters, through political encounters. You know, we're afraid of the unknown right off the bat. And we should be aggressive. And the other side's thinking the same thing. So yep. I found that interesting. Yeah, what I thought was interesting was, I mean, we're, we're used to the Star Trek concept of, like, we don't, like, we come in peace. We don't, we're not shooting first. If we're all friends, unless you have a reason to make me your enemy. And we <laughs> I don't know if they did this on purpose or not, but this admiral has a real douchey way about him, and he's the one who's preaching the the, the peace aspect. Like, no, no, let's chill out. It's fine. Like, don't, don't, don't judge them based on their race, like how they look, color of the skin, or their the shape right. of the ridge of their but, forehead. But technically, he's yeah, right. he is. He's fulfilling. No, he is. Um, he is. Creed, you know, what yeah, he should be. He he is, and and he and he should be. But what I thought was interesting about how they did that is he is the 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 message is correct but the way they portray his character is like ah man who's this dick and i thought that was interesting you know because because she's like right the the hairs on 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 michael's neck are standing up like she knows that something's off right now and even though she wants to believe that message she like there's a nuance to the situation that she's picking up on that like yeah we don't fire first but like Something's up here. So, uh, and, and I think this is one of the interesting questions that, like, it's like, it's Star Trek. Star Trek asks good questions. And this is sort of the start of the nuanced question here that I think that, that is being brought up here is, yeah, we're not aggressive. We're not shooting first, but something's up. So what are we going to do? And that's when she goes, you know, so after that, he's like, no, 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 be cool. And, and she, you know, she, try, she brings up that line. She's like, well, don't confuse culture and race. And he signs off and she goes back to her quarters to, to consult with Sarek. And this, and this is where we get his anecdote about the Vulcans first contact with the Klingons where they fucked up the Vulcans. So, you know, ever after the Vulcans, ultra logical, peace loving species, they fire first. And that's weird. And that is really weird, but it, the way, see, the way, the reason that, so this really worked for me, and the reason why it worked is because the Vulcans didn't fire first because they're pissed or because they're warlike or anything like that, is because it was logical for them to preserve the peace because they had to shoot first because that's, that's the what the Klingons, only Klingons yeah. would respond to. Yeah. So we were talking in there, like the Klingons respect 
for that. They were spending and I think power, that's yeah. right. Power and, and, and strength. And, and I thought that was really interesting because it's such a non-traditional Star Trek idea. But when you present it from the point of view of the Vulcans, whereas like it is logical, I think that really hits. And because it's so unexpected, I think it hits doubly hard. No, and I think you bring up a good point, Jeff. I think you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, I forgot about that point. And, and it's true. That's what Sarek said. Still, you, it, it's from from a commentary from you know. I don't know if start if this these first two episodes are trying to put a stake into where they are trying to present their themes and what they're trying to say. It's too early to tell them what that we'd only have to really judge that as the show goes on, right? So I think it's a good starting mm-hmm. point. Yeah, it's some interesting concepts here, but it's 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 a bit messy. But you're you're right. I mean, that's. That's an interesting little nugget. That that's yeah. exactly what yeah. the Vulcans are only thinking through logic, and they're saying, "Yep, we have to fire." That's the only way we will maintain peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nathan, what are your thoughts here on that uh, piece? So, Jeff, did you not call the, the Admiral uh, Zap Brannigan in I your did, yeah. Uh, recap? Yeah, because that's exactly who was. Was he anti? <laughs> he was like inverse of Zap Brannigan. The swagger. Well, he was. Like he, was doing yeah, the right he was. Well, he was like you know, like his uh, his slightly less successful younger brother of uh, Zap Brannigan. I, <laughs> I would really. I would. That would be awesome if he was just like wearing the top. Just full on zap. That would have been amazing. <laughs> so you know, one thing I did kind of like about the idea of the Klingons or uh, the, the sorry, the Vulcans, they would fire first. It, it kind of reminded me, and I think it was unintentional was the pilot of Enterprise where the Vulcans were trying to tell uh, Captain Archer is like no these are a, a culture of warriors if you take back their warrior in like he's like you will dishonor him right you should just euthanize him right now and they so they kind of understood how to deal with the Klingons which I kind of appreciated it's like well it, that's just how you deal with the galaxy my one thing sort of with the scene and it was because the message is a little bit muddled I, mean, I understand that you know they're trying to do something a little bit different with track and we're trying to not have necessarily like this is a, like the clean line between what is right and what is wrong because yeah, the Admiral is trying to say, like, you know, like, no, like, you know, we, we're not going to fire on them. And then there's all everything about race versus culture. But at the same time as a viewer, we're, we are seeing the Klingons and they are out for blood. So it's, it's like, well, no, actually, you do kind of like they are they are the bad guys. Like there's nothing to be. Now, they view the Federation as the enemy simply because they have the idea of peace. But I, I feel like. Again, like like the we're seeing a lot of profound things, but I feel like there's no there's no depth to the words that people are saying. We're seeing seeing a lot of a lot of different perspectives here, which is very track. But I think we're we're actually losing you know any sort of examination of like okay what where where is our true stance here because we have a couple of different perspectives and uh, my my fear is that we eventually will not explore those and maybe they're actually just setting us up for it for later episodes and maybe i'm totally wrong but as it stands right now i feel like the the message is a little muddled i i okay so i i will disagree slightly because i do believe the plan for the show as we will see the conflict from the Klingon side as well. I I think that uh, maybe it wasn't that well realized now, we'll, and we'll see where it goes. But the reason why I threw that little root beer reference in there is because there's an episode of Deep Space Nine where Quark is talking to, I don't know if it was O'Brien or Bashir or Dax. Yeah, I remember the scene. Or Worf. Yeah, and he's talking about how it's, the Federation... They'll, all get, they'll just take over. Like, everyone will just... It's, it's Garrick. 
Oh, it's Garrick. It's Garrick. It's him and Garrick talking. Insidious, exactly. Yeah, and and he's like, "Well, I'll be drinking root beer. Like it's sweet, it's nice, it's bubbly. When you drink enough of it, you start to like." Yeah, that's right. But it's the homogenization. It's like we're all wearing the nice same jumpsuits and flying the sweet ships, and everything's the same. And that's what the Klingons. That's what Takuma was saying is like they're going to rob us of our individuality or rob us of our culture. I was I was listening to another one of the Star Trek podcasts that I listened to, and and somebody on that show was saying how it's kind of like the the conflict between the Native Americans and the Europeans when they came over. It's like. Yeah, well, now they're nice and cool and everything, but they're going to be—they're going to take away what makes us us. And that, and Takuma says basically as much. Maybe I think it's in the second episode and says it, but I think that that is sort of the nature of of uh, the, uh, the you know the the Make Chronos Great Again campaign here is like these outsiders are going to make us into them, you know, slowly over time. And that's what Insidious about. So we need to fight back. What I thought was really interesting is that Takuma, as the Klingon, is also preaching a very Star Trek ideal, which is unity. The Empire is divided. 24 houses are not together. And what we need to do is bring everybody together in order to further our ideals, which is very Star Trek. If you think about the Federation, as we, you know, as, as Star Trek explored, uh, the Federation through more through TNG, like in order to be eligible to enter the Federation, you had to have a one world government. So all, so you had to have basically a uniculture on your planet and everybody spoke on that planet. Everybody spoke basically the same language. Every, every alien culture had one. We're all wearing the same jumpsuit. We all got the same, same jumpsuit, same haircut, same language, same forehead ridges. Yeah, yeah. Two pairs of gravity boots. Except for that Dax motherfucker, he wasn't wearing no guy boots. <laughs> That's had holes in his feet. Jesus Christ, that guy. Who let that guy in a starship? Like, put some socks on, bro. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dude, I walk around barefoot at work all the time. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, you don't have bloodstained jumpsuit stuffed in a fucking air vent at your uh, at your work. No, don't don't call me what out. Shitty fucking call- hiding place that was too. No, bro. Don't call me out. <laughs> <laughs> so. You can kind of see, like, it, it is interesting because Star Trek has the the unity message, which we're all, you know, we're all on board with. But when you look at it from the Klingons' perspective, it's like, oh, shit, yeah, like, there are things that, you know, maybe not everybody else digs about me and who's as my individuality and my you know, culture as, you know, whatever culture you might be a part of. Uh, that I wouldn't necessarily want washed away. And I could see, you know, if you're the Klingons, they're like, well, I don't want that washed away. Maybe I don't want, maybe I don't want bloodshed necessarily, but I would prefer bloodshed and war to, you know, wearing that blue jumpsuit as, see, as a metaphor, right? The thing. I mean, this so, is going to be interesting to see how the show progresses. As I said, mm-hmm. right now it's a bit messy. So as I mentioned before, and as um, Nathan mentioned, I agree with you, Jeff. There's definite uh, comparisons between, you know, European settlements and Native Americans. I mean, making a commentary here is it's also a commentary related to, you know, cultures in the Middle East or anywhere else in the world where they feel like they cannot express themselves. There's a danger of losing their culture. This is one of the brainwashing techniques of uh, terrorist groups. And how they yep. bring other followers and believers uh, to fight for them. And that's kind of the feeling, as I said, I got. So it's going to be interesting to see where the showrunners are going to take this the show. Are they going to just paint them as a yep. black and white villain or a complex villain? Or is Starfleet may end up being the villain? 
or maybe both sides mm-hmm. of the villain. Because really, in reality, both sides of the villain in, in the world, right? That we yeah. live in. All sides of the villain. And that's the problem with humanity. But the problem is, is the show is supposed to be, correct me if I'm wrong, the showrunners are saying it's going to be a return to that optimistic portrayal of humanity's potential, right? Just with yeah, it, adult themes. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see if it's true or not. Because if it's true, I highly doubt they're going to go down that path that you're talking about. Klingons are probably just going to be black and white. See, I think that I think that we are I think we are going to go down the Klingon path because I think in this context, I, I don't know if this is true. I hope this is true. Is that you know? But basically, by the time we get to the original series, the you know the Klingons and the Federation, they're basically they basically reach the Cold War era of their relationship, and and Discovery will probably be the more open warfare portion before. I'm I'm hopeful because I I've, I heard one of the showrunners talk the other day about we're going to be seeing this conflict from the Klingon side as well, that it, it might not be the good guys and the bad guys. It's going to be how do we find peace or, or the ceasefire, at least arrangement here that that's going to happen because, and the reason I think that is because clearly the conflict opens with a bit of a misunderstanding, like the, an accident happens and then conflict ensues. I know we have, I know we have the zealots on the Klingon side, but perhaps that's not going, I don't, I hope that that's not going to be the case. I really do. Yeah, um, interesting. It's it's really hard yeah. to judge at this point. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So anyway, after consulting with Sarek, and we get the version of the Klingon, uh, sorry, uh, the Vulcan hello term, she uh, tries to convince the captain that, you know, we need to shoot first. She's like, no, we don't, you know. Starfleet doesn't shoot first. And she gives uh, she gives her captain the, 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 old, the old neck pinch which I, I really liked. And I like the scene that ensues after that, where she's hurrying. Like, I really got that sense of urgency. She's like, she's trying to get them to fire or anybody can kind of really figure out what's going on. She's like, you know, like, well, the captain authorized this is like, well, we need to, she's calling Starfleet or we're like, we need to do this. I, I like that scene. I thought it, it played really well and, and very, you know, very urgent. And it, it really felt authentic to me. And uh, obviously it doesn't work as the captain comes out, pointing to phaser, old school phaser and the Klingon ships warp in. And I love that shot too, where you could see the two lines of battle with all the Klingons on that one line and just the Federation ship on that other line. I thought that was a great shot in space. And that wraps up uh, part one. Uh, so the final scene here, and maybe final thoughts on part one before we dive into the shorter part two. Nathan, why don't you uh, send us off here? Well, you know, we do get some pretty good shots of, uh, or some good looks of, of those uh, those Klingon vessels. The, the weird, like, sarcophagus ship has some neat, like, it's, it's very different from, well, not very different, but it has some, like, neat allusions to previous Klingon ships. I thought it was neat. The other ships were, I don't know, we don't get good looks at them, so it's kind of hard to say. One thing, I, again, like, this is kind of where the show's losing a little bit. It's like, we're, we're ending the first episode on a mutiny, essentially. There's great acting here. I think there's great drama, and it works great as a sci-fi show, but as far as a Star Trek show, it's starting to lose me a little bit, even though I think the, the actors are doing really great in this scene and it's a great you know well like a well-produced scene overall but yeah i mean those those klingon ships warp in and you know i'm compelled i mean you know i think i text you like right after i'm like i can't get the next episode i can't do the podcast where is it i need to see this next episode i was kind of like irritated i couldn't watch it right away i i thought it ended on on a great no 
note all my quibbles aside. I mean, we could probably really, di- you know, dissect this this mutiny scene a lot more, but I mean, we'd be here forever. So, I mean, I, I just want to say it feels very not Star Trek-ish. I mean, it's not like the worst Star Trek scene uh, ever, but that's all I kind of feel I want to say about it. Okay. Yeah, Harry? I'll talk about the mutiny, mutiny um, in the second part, but I loved it when, how it finished with the cliffhanger and all the ships warping in or and uh and you see all the ships surrounding shenzu uh, i was hoping that somebody would say it's a trap <laughs> that would have been fucking awesome <laughs> in the in the admiral akbar accent accent no no georgiou says it what? in chinese i was gonna pull it off no 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 oh that would be great she would have said it in chinese and we would get the uh, subtitle <laughs> <laughs> that would have been pretty sweet. In all seriousness, uh, I loved it. I thought it was a great moment, both the mutiny and the cliffhanger. I thought it was great. It's interesting that it's not the Star Trek ideal, and they're showing the conflict here, and that's kind of the part that I'm kind of just very interested to see how they're really going to be treating this character, Burnham, because, you know, she's supposed to pull our, all of her emotions together. You know, she's supposed to be somewhat logical, as we're meant to believe, and then just the fact that her memory of what Sarek told her or her vision or whatever that may be. I mean, I don't even know what the fuck that was. He was communicating with her or she was just having a vision. I mean, I don't even know what the fuck that Yeah, I think she was, com- yeah, in the second part that he, he is communicating with her. I, I thought it might have been uh, a vision in a sense that, like, because they mind-melded, like, he's always a piece of her and she's always a piece of him, so his uh, Katra or whatever's in there, but I think he actually, I think, fuck, I believe they kind of really that out. Up. Seriously. It oh, probably geez. is. Well, unless Sarek's a little freaky, and then, you know. <laughs> no, but he... Giving your point is... He actually... Logic dictates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be the weirdest thing. He's just, he's just standing, like, at the side of the bed, just kind of, like, with his, like, his blank look. It's like... <laughs> except, box, so, I'm always except. with you. Um, no, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, but he does kind of make a comment because he he like physically it takes a toll on him because he kind of has like a bit of a, like a physical moment where he's like almost winces in pain a little bit as though he's like yeah, yeah. this it, this is That's hard right. to to maintain yeah no so I think it was in real time it's not it's not Raza Ghul visiting uh, Batman in in prison there at all where it's just like a total vision it's all happening in his mind yeah I'm not I'm not yeah. sure I'm a fan of that and I really hope they stop going forward. One, because I'm not a fan of, of the actor playing Sarek as it is anyways. I mean, it's the first episode or second episode, and I'm not a fan of what I've seen so far of his capabilities. But anyways, beyond that, the Mutiny, I, I liked it. Um, even though it's not following Trek, Trek's ideals, it was the first moment I'm going, I kind of like I was watching it in my room and then I kind of, st- st- you know, sat up straight and went, okay, shit's getting real. And it's like, so it's a, it's a little different and it's high tension. I like the way they built it up and it was a great send off for the first episode. Well done. Yeah. I, I, just to wrap it up for the first part, I really liked it. I mean, it might not have been the smoothest transition to a mutiny like you know to kind of flip it but i thought it was great partly because it was so unexpected for star trek and Mm -hmm. i I mean i've read some comments online which isn't my normal practice because that's (laughs) there lies madness when you read comments online right but i love that i mean you know people are saying that's not star trek and mutiny they never do the starfleet officer and all that stuff i'm like yeah all all right but we've done that though like we've done all of that 
Oh yeah, and in every show, in and every, I think in every series, eventually someone will mutiny. Or that's right, it happens mutiny. all the time. Yeah. Remember that? That remember that episode of TNG with uh, O'Brien's old captain, and he he takes his ship and starts blowing up Cardassians because you know he's emotion, all that stuff. Like fucking happens, and it's so compelling, and it was. So it was great because it was unexpected. Like you need to at this point, like we're the sixth televised series. We have ten movies plus the three JJ movies. We're deep into Star Trek here. We need to start doing some stuff that's uh, unexpected. Otherwise, we're gonna, all going to fall asleep. And I thought that this was great. And part of what made it work is not is 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 what informed it. She was using Vulcan logic to make a decision that she knew was difficult and, and you know it was emotional but that's kind of what makes it great like they use the canon of you know with Vulcan like that's great like they use something that's already there with the Vulcans which is such a huge part of Star Trek's DNA huge part to to give us this turn and it, it fits so well I mean there was that you guys remember that episode of DS9 where there was that assassin and she was Vulcan and, but it, like it was logical for her to like try to assassinate the uh, I think it was an envoy from the from the Dominion or something I can't remember exactly but she used that like sniper rifle that had the transporter bolts and shit like that, uh, that yeah yeah I remember it's that. so great they, they had multiple Vulcan like there were Vulcans in the Maquis even right exactly so it's such a great way to make that work and I thought that was so, was so excellent about it right like, so, so, so I, I I do want to I, I don't like necessarily disagree per se like my, my gripe though is that I feel in the pilot episode I, there's something for me that doesn't feel earned necessarily I, I, I kind of agree with you guys that like there's there's something interesting about using Vulcan logic to make this type of turn I'm not even against the idea of m- mutant me, but uh, it, it kind of feels like oh, you haven't really brought me there quite yet, necessarily, even though we've had characters like Tuba is a character that I really like from Voyager, and he starts off as like a spy for the Federation in the Maquis. There are episodes where he he's not necessarily mutinous, but he does things that go against uh, Captain Janeway. But I've I've been brought into the character. I can kind of buy it. And and for me, it's like this does not feel natural. It more it, it feels more like, OK, I understand that the writers have to move the story in a certain direction. And this is where we're going. And that's to me where it loses me slightly. Not so much that I'm like, OK, I'm out. You know, I, yeah. I was compelled by it, but there, I, there's a, just this nagging thing with me where, where it's just like, it's not, maybe not quite earned. Maybe later in the series, it will be earned. Maybe, you know, I mean, it's kind of tough to say because, you know, with the rest of Star Trek, it's like I've watched it all so many times that I, you know, I can watch like a pilot and like read into motivations that I know are not there because it won't be for four seasons that they yeah. write something with the characters. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping, I'm, I'm just more, for me, I'm just more judging it on just like, hey, this is the episode I've, I've witnessed at this point. Yeah. So I just, I just had to, because I know you guys are kind of like, I just have to kind of be the, the dissenting voice there just a little bit on, on, on the mutiny point. That's never you. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> As I keep I saying, you your goddamn ass. I'm, I'm still the guy who still recommended Superman 4 just to watch it, just even though everyone else hated it. I still watch it. And that, you know, that's me. I have it ingrained in my memory. It lives with me. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So I think that wraps up part one of Vulcan Hello. I love that title. Part two, A Battle at the Binary Stars. Also love that title. We open This was with- totally a riff. Not a riff, but or an homage to, you know, Battle of uh, the Mutar and Nebula. Oh, right? 
name. Star Trek too. Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, and I, I mean, I think uh, that almost everybody who works on Star Trek Discovery is a huge fan of Star Trek, like the original series TNG. So, so the, uh, the, the Klingon ships have warped in. Takuma is uh, trying to convince the other Klingons here. I think we get a little more clunkiness with the Klingon interactions here. It, it, I think it's done well enough. But it does remind me somewhat of season three of Star Trek Enterprise with the Nathan. What the fuck are those guys called in uh, the, the Zindi? Oh, the Zindi, uh, yeah, where they had their bullshit council and they're just yeah. talking in vague expositional terms. And this smacks of it that a little bit. It's much better done. It's funny because I I did think of that as well. But I thought this is the better version of that. Yeah, it's a better version uh, of that. And I, I can kind of understand it's hard to build the conflict with the Klingons. Like we're trying to show their point of view, but you know we kind of have limited scenes because really we're more invested in the Starfleet characters. So, but this is this is where we get a little more insight into his motivation. Like we don't want to be homogenized into the Federation. These guys are going to steal our individuality here. So we get a little bit more there. It's not just a crazy, you know, want to blow up the universe kind of guy, like whatever the name of that Romulan dude was in Star Trek 09 and that, and that kind of thing. Or, um, you know, villains in that vein. There actually does seem to be legitimate motivation here. So that's good. The Starfleet reinforcements arrive. Burnham gets sent to the brig. And this is where basically the conflict starts here. So we get the, the first space battle. I've read some comments online saying that they didn't like the look of the space battle. I thought it was excellent. No, I thought yeah, so. Maybe on, I thought it was great. Yeah. yeah. I, I oh, think, yeah. I think they I, could have used a few more close-ups of some ships getting getting hit hmm. or sending out some shots. There was a couple of... It seemed to be a lot of wide-angle shots of a bunch of different ships, which I, I just wish it was a more of a mix. And then you were following the Shenzhou a little bit more on a tight, some tighter angles. There. I think that's the only comment I would have. Aside from that, yeah, that's great. Yeah, good point. I th- actually think so. Yeah, yeah. I thought it. I thought it was excellent. I mean, I, I was watching it. I mean, there was some. There's some good space battle scenes in Deep Space Nine and the Dominion War stuff. But this doesn't you know, trump of, any of those, though. All, all those big ones. No, and and but they can't. Well, those were more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. But production values were were spectacular. Again, we have sort of the the JJ Kelvin timeline design with the weapons, where it's more like pulse lasers. I think they were called face cannons. Did she not call them face cannons and not phasers? Oh, I didn't catch that. Oh, Harry, did you catch that? Just a call back to Enterprise, which I thought was kind of neat. No, there, I thought they were just phasers, but now I might have missed it. Okay. There, there was a bit of a callback to Enterprise with the overall design of the Federation ships, like just yeah. the hulls were very NXO-1 style, even though like the ships themselves were much more sophisticated, but I felt like the, the, the hulls themselves were very Enterprise-like. And they're all like much slimmer, the ships. Like they don't have like the large, as far as like just height. Yeah. They're all like very the way yeah. I'm not a fan of that. Like I kind of wish there was a bit more variety between the ships that were there. Well, and well, the more traditional look, but so be it. Hopefully we get some more well, variation. No, I, I, well, well, granted, but I think that was maybe kind of the idea was that like, okay, we're still kind of in that, that era. And I think the idea is that, but we're only 10 when, years away. Yeah, I know. And I, I still, I, I think that they're going to kind of use that as a shorthand for, oh, we're in a new era when I'm sure at the end of the series, they're just going to debut, you know, like, oh, here's the hull of the our new class of ship or whatever, right? And our new constitution class. And it's like, you can stack four of our ships and then it makes the height of this. I think they're going to kind of do that. But I, I don't know. I, I did kind of like like a bit of that that callback to how the the NXO one was uh, designed. Okay, well I guess that settles that. They uh, and they were they were called phase cannons. I I knew that. I was just giving the courtesy to you 
guys to agree with me, but so, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Go back and watch it. So anyway, I mean, we, we basically, the big, the, you know, the battle scenes here and the, you know, the Shenzhou is going to uh, float into that asteroid there, which would be a real shame. And I was actually waiting for the Enterprise for some, oh no, I was actually waiting for the Discovery. Yeah. To, yeah. So I thought swoop that, in I thought that was going to be it too. Completely. It was yeah. telegraphing it completely to be that way. Yeah. And yeah, but that didn't happen, which is great. Again, like it kind of subverted what was going to be the obvious expectation in the, this uh, second rate USS Europa with Admiral Brad on it. Fuck, I love that guy and I hate him at the same time. Such a good character. <laughs> How can you not love him? He's awesome. He's such a cock. That's why. I, I, I did love him, but I, I loved him because I hated him. Like, that was such a great character. He was so good. He was oh, yes. such a douche. It's great. Like, I mean, we haven't had... I mean, admirals in Star Trek are always cockbags, though, aren't they? Like, oh. always. Especially in TOS. In TOS, oh. they were the worst. Worst? <laughs> yeah. What was the last time there was a good admiral? Even in TNG, who was the last good admiral? I love Brad Anderson. He's going to go down in the uh, Starfleet Hall of Fame for uh, douchebag admirals, but at least he got his comeuppance. That was a great scene, actually. Like I almost wish they call him Commandant, because that's what they did in TOS a lot. Like, there are a lot oh, of yeah, commandants. Yeah, that's right. They should have done that. Uh, they should have done that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that because that that's never been seen since then. Uh, I agree, that would have been great. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. But that uh, was kind of neat. So he, you know, he gets a ceasefire going. Okay, everything's fine, and then he just rammed that ship. I love that effect with the cloaked ship. Yeah, that just was great. Opa, fuck, that was cool. Yeah, yeah, love great, that. great scene. That was amazing, and I'm yeah. and I'm glad they didn't make it overly spectacular. It felt realistic, like it was a slow burn. That ship was just crumpling. It was great. Yeah, yeah. It had it, had, it felt like it had a real weight. To it, you know, which is hard with CG yeah. to portray that. So that was cool. So we, we kind of go back to the brig there with uh, Commander Burnham, and she's just basically boxed in. Uh, so maybe we can talk a little and bit some, about that. Well, there's some great shots there, too. When the guy flew away in space, he goes, this ain't right. We shouldn't be fighting. And then, again, Starfleet's morals. He gets blown away. Yeah, that ain't going to happen. And then you see some wide-angle uh, other shots of her just with the force field. And the hull is broken. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And that's a nice little callback. Because even then, when you go back to the bridge, and there, there, uh, Saru is listing off the sections that are blown away because the hull was compromised. And I thought that was a nice little homage again to Generations, where Kirk yeah. was uh, taken away to the Nexus. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, so I thought, and you see the hull's broken up. And I was just waiting for Scotty to go, I... <laughs> so I thought it was some really good scenes here. That was great. And I like how she got out. She was doing the logic, fighting the people oh, over logic. Well. I thought that was pretty, pretty nifty for her to get out of there. The uh, Kirk, Kirk level word jujitsu to kind of get out of the. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. I, I, I like that as well. I immediately thought of, of Kirk like talking a computer like into like a weird logic bomb. Oh yeah, I, I looked it up. That was that was the first thing I thought. I was like, Oh, it's Kirk Word Jujitsu with a computer. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, oh, he, awesome. he I looked it up. He he did it, I believe, uh, on four four occasions, not including V'ger, because it didn't really work with V'ger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he 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 talked out uh, he talked uh, four uh, synthetic intelligences to uh destroy themselves in the original series there which is pretty impressive because it's only three seasons long so that it was kind of neat it, 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 it it's it is i i mean i know those writers know star trek well enough to know that that's callback to the original series and and a bit of a deep cut going back so 
I respect something like that because it shows the love for the series, even if it's a little bit cheesy. I can go with it because uh, it's consistent with Star Trek. So she, uh, so Burnham, and that poor bastard getting blown out into space there. I, I mean, I like that as well, Harry, as you referenced. He's obviously he has a concussion. He's freaked out. Like, why, why are we fighting? I, I like that. Like, we're not soldiers. Like, we're Starfleet officers. We're explorers. Like, that was great. I, yeah. I, I love that. And, and that, that poor fucker getting blown into space is, is sad. I mean, we don't really get a chance to get invested in that guy. I don't know if we even learned his name. But this but, is great for the audience because yeah. where have you seen this in another pilot? Because you're thinking these are going to be the people that you are going to get to know. That's your expectation. Mm. And then, bam, this person's mm. gone. Bam, that person's gone. Bam, this person's gone. I think it's great. Yeah. And traditionally, yeah. and that's what I was saying before, like traditionally, like just you meet your bridge crew. Like, sure, we're not getting any names in, in this show. And then he goes, he's confused. He goes down there and boom, he, he's dead. And that, I actually kind of felt that was maybe not like shocking might, might be a bit too strong of a word. It was like, oh, whoa. Cause I kind of thought, well, he was already on the bridge. We haven't been introduced to him yet, but we will eventually. It's like, oh, you know, he'll make his way to, to Med Bay and like, whoosh, gone yeah. like that. You should have just and said don't winter is coming. Then he'd be gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Win- no, no. Winter is here, motherfuckers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and again, like that's actually what makes this like a, a fresher Star Trek because you you don't get a lot of death in in Star Trek, especially in the pilots. I mean, I think Voyager did it a little bit, but you know, I, again, I think they I think they killed like like a character that you never actually saw, and then uh, like oh now the holograms the Doctor. And then, yeah. and her first officer died in in Voyager, but he had like a half a line. I don't even remember who she did really. She, yeah, he, well, she had, oh, could remember because Chakotay was their first officer. She had one. And he died in the oh, uh, in the pilot. Like, I, right don't, I don't. I have no memory of who the hell that even was. Yeah, well, that's because it was Voyager, and then a shit job with character development. So. <laughs> Fuck Voyager. Anyway, so as we we get the plan here, and I kind of I was mixed on this. I kind of like that they kind of cooked up one plan. Like we're gonna fly the, or we're gonna we're trying to figure out a way to get the photon torpedo onto the Klingon flagship to blow everything up. It's like okay, well we could beam it over. The sensors would pick it up and we'll do this. And she's like, I'll fly it over. And then Burnham comes over. She's like, No, I'll fly it over. And then they see the bodies getting sucked up. Like, oh, we'll beam it onto the onto one of the bodies there. Here's an interesting thing. So before you, sorry to interrupt, Jeff. So I read another article on the internet where this is another interesting facet to Starfleet because and, and what the showrunners are trying to show here is technically we have in our real world we have the Geneva Convention, right? So yep. and with respect to dealing with mm-hmm. dead, dead people, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, yeah, they're yep. planting a bomb on a dead body that's being transported yep. back. So even though it's the enemy, but these morals should be you know inherited by Starfleet, you would think, right? So here they're violating that right of the Klingon retrieving you know their honored soldier and they're mm-hmm. attaching a bomb to him yep. and then they blow the blow shit out of him. I would have done the same thing because who the fuck are these Klingons? We came in peace. You don't like that? Fuck you. I would do that. Shatner would do that. I'm all for that. But it's what are the showrunners trying to say here? If anything, yeah. they're not saying. Well, it's basically a war crime. Yeah, it's a war what's crime. going on. Here. Yeah, right, right. And that's really interesting. I never thought of that. And you're absolutely correct. Yeah, that's, uh, ooh, that's kind of unsettling. I mean, it is clever. Like, it's a clever writing tool, I guess, is like, oh, we're going to sort of surreptitiously, like, attack them through, like, some action that the enemy is doing. But this, this is kind of a dark thing for, for Starfleet to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I mean, and that being said, like, they're probably not 
in many situations where they need to worry about things like international treaties and, and rules of war because they're not soldiers. So it's like they're in a situation where like we're going, we could die, right? Like it's not like we can retreat easily. Like they could fuck, they could kill us. Like we're just trying to survive. What's a, what's something we can do in order to, in order to save ourselves? So yeah, but, but that's a really, really good yeah, point, but, Harry. I mean, yeah. I mean, it really wasn't an act of preservation in that sense because I don't think they were in any immediate danger and it looked like Takuma was about to take off. Unless yeah, this was just they basically they and the rest of the fleet took off the Klingon fleet. So and he said, I'm "Yeah, well, they survive, right?" Didn't Takuma yeah. say this? That, yeah, he does say that. I don't know if it was before this scene or after this I scene where he says, "Oh, it was before." Yeah, because yeah. he's the one who says it, and he dies, right? So yeah, you, you'll serve as as heralds to the, this thing, and they basically make a move to, or she's thinking to make a move to assassinate this motherfucker, right? With the with the with the photon torpedo on the dead body like that's an assassination attempt not a not a battle attempt to destroy him so that's that's interesting that i think of that so that's interesting but burnham's plan there so she's like no no that's just going to make him a martyr so we you know we capture him that'll mean dishonor and, and that's uh, that'll give us leverage so yeah i thought that was cool so they go over there a la spock kirk in star trek 09 again yeah, with their phasers that's right out of that movie yeah, ripped right out of that. Absolutely. But I liked how it played. Like, they get over there, they shoot some Klingons, they get into some Mortal Kombat. Burnham gouges that uh, Vox uh, eye out. That guy looks like he's going to be a bad motherfucker coming up here. So that'll be fun, hopefully. He looks like a and the Not because he's albino, uh, but just, he just looks like, I don't know, I'm not a big fan of this Vox guy. So, what are you saying? You don't like white people? <laughs> <laughs> uh, who gave it away? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. I don't know. I have to see. Yeah, yeah. I have to see I where he's, he's going to go. But I, I wasn't impressed yeah. with with him as a character. Well, I, I wonder if um, it's too early because he seems like he's not going to be that reasonable. But I wonder if that other Klingon, the the female Klingon that had a couple of lines that was part of Takuma's sort of entourage there, if she might end up being the more like the reasonable Klingon that helps bring an end to the conflict. And because Bok doesn't look like he's going to come around, like he he looks like he's more of a zealot oh, than yeah. Takuma is right the captain georgiou gets into a fight and she she holds her own against the klingon but obviously he's he's going to prevail just stabs her right through the heart and burnham's like fuck this switches her phaser to kill and opens up a hole in that klingon's chest and shit i love that because i like it when characters make like it's some it's it's frustrating when you watch a show or a movie and and a character makes a stupid decision and there's no reason but she makes a bad decision because of her because of emotion and i i bought it because of that that like you know no like i got to get this guy i gotta put this guy down it was the wrong thing and she knew it was the wrong thing but she she did it in the heat of the moment so i i really like that to see a starfleet officer trying to do the right thing but doing the wrong thing so jeff can uh, i ask you a question yes. so uh, I, I might be i've only seen it the one time on uh as we're recording a few nights after the premiere she did she change any setting on her on her phaser or i thought she just shot right away uh, and that's the end of it. you know it's kind of like it was if you remember in star Trek nine like they they flipped the switch and they start and the phaser would turn from blue to red so there's a little indicator on the back of the phaser when they beamed over it's blue it's very subtle it's the blue circle and when she, she could see her flick it and it turned to red and she shot it and that killed him it was on stun before 
Oh, so we go back. Okay, so she yeah. consciously made that. I didn't pick that up at all. Yeah, yeah, and, and I like that bit. So because like when you watch Star Trek 09, uh, you, there's actual physical thing on the phaser that like, it flips around from stun to kill, so you can kind of see it. it. Was more visual representation of it, and this was just sort of the light on the back of it, but you can see it. Because uh, I'm a Star Trek geek, right? I was when they go over and they're shooting them. I'm like, are they on stun or kill? And I can see the blue light on the back. I'm like, hmm, yeah, blue probably means stun. And then it was red when she shot. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's kill. So I thought it was a much better way than what the way they did it in Star Trek Nine. Yeah, I, I, it's, like, yeah. It's, it's a little bit more subtle, but you kind of, I mean, they probably wouldn't have been able to to do that effect without us seeing the like the Abrams version of it. But you're right, I I kind of appreciated that a, a little. It's like a little bit of a nod, but it's not like the it's not like so in your face where like half the gun like flips over. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was it was almost too. I mean, I can understand in Star Trek 09 why they did it that way because I don't know, maybe it was too geeky to say, well, set phasers to sun, set phasers to kill. Like it's a we kind of that's in the lexicon. Non Star Trek fans get it, so that's just, that was just an easy way to represent that in, in Star Trek 09. And it, maybe this was even too, maybe too subtle for it because ultimate Star Trek nerd Harry didn't see it, but yeah, yeah. Missed, completely missed it. Yeah. Um, but this was a so she uh, so she kills him. Captain Georgiou is dead, and I, I like that scene where she she runs to try to retrieve the body, and uh, uh, what's his nuts there? Uh, Saru uh, beams her back. It's a bit of a failure of Star Trek tech magic, like. They just beamed an inanimate object into space, the photon torpedo. Why can't but they can't beam that? a body. Yeah. yeah, like it's so. Yeah, it lost yeah, her life signs. Like that's a trope. What does that mean? That's yeah, just yeah. But yeah, but I I, I understand it because it's like you kind of getting the emotional message. Like the Klingons are retrieving their dead bodies. She wants to retrieve their dead, and she can't. So that hurt her i mean they obviously has a close relationship so some more right with it you know so the both forces uh, withdraw and and then we uh you know cut back to commander burnham's court martial where she's been charged with treason or mutiny or whatever all all of the shit she pleads guilty and they're like you are no longer start for the officer and you are in prison oh life done what a way to start a star trek <laughs> show shit so that was the finale. Just the last scenes there, uh, Harry. Aside from it completely being taken from 09, the, the set piece, I enjoyed the action there, the shootouts. I kind of wish that the hand-to-hand combat was a bit more interesting. And I'm not saying Michelle Yeoh has got to start, you know, busting out some martial arts, but I was just hoping that there would be something, you know, a bit more stretched out. And, and Takumba didn't seem very strong or... It's not that he has to overpower anybody, but you notice Klingons have their way of really moving in a fight. And this guy just looked like he was just, uh, I'm just hacking mm. down. Uh. It was just, you know, I'm just not, it wasn't very interesting. It wasn't very fast. It wasn't very energetic. So I, I kind of wish that there was a bit more there, but that's okay. It's just one episode. It still probably beats any of the hand-to-hand fighting we saw in uh, TNG. You know, do you remember the time where it's like the card just like throws the pistol into the other arm and then he punches the Ferengi out? <laughs> Like, yeah. So we're going from that yeah. to this. It's a major improvement, right? <laughs> that Ferengi was a chump, though. I believe that. It was wrong. <laughs> it was wrong. <laughs> yeah, it was wrong. Yeah, he popped in the face. That was great. <laughs> yeah, I really hope we get some Ferengi in this show. <laughs> Oh, man. No, I, I I liked it. I mean, yeah, I didn't care about the the body retrieval thing. 
guy, as I mentioned, I didn't catch the uh, switch to the kill there, so that's a nice little interesting nugget to, to think about. Yeah, shocking to see Michelle Yeoh go, but not too shocking, because we already knew that Jason Isaacs was coming in. He'll be the captain, which I guess we'll talk about shortly, because I have a couple comments there, uh, which I'll save for the end. The court-martial, yeah, it, it's a really interesting way to end the first pilot, so this is kind of like our prequel or t- to the show, and Discovery really kicks off in episode three. So mm-hmm. I think this is a really, really interesting way to start the series and very ballsy, uh, very cutting edge and fresh uh, for Trek. And I think it's a, a great start to the first uh, couple episodes. Here. I did find it interesting that the tribunal who was the, at, the, at the court martial, their faces were all hidden mm-hmm. in the light. So I thought that was really a neat way of uh, lighting that set. Kind of wished it remi- kind of reminded me of the, uh, in, in a different way of Superman, the trial of the Zod. So it was like, mm. I was hoping. It would be yeah. funny if it was like all oh, guilty. Guilty. <laughs> guilty. 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 <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I like And then Burns vanished into the and then she's vanished into the phantom zone. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, overall. Yeah. Great ending. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Nathan, what what are your thoughts there on the end? Well, I think overall, I thought just the emotional impact for Burnham losing not just her captain, but, you know, like a a mentor and almost like a mother figure. I thought that was really heartfelt. I I will say, though, that there was something weird about the editing and the choreography of the, the actual physical fight. That Michelle Yao had with uh, what's what, what's the Klingon's name? Uh, Takuma. Takuma. And it's like Michelle Yao can can do better than than, than that. So I mean, there, there was something like it was just like yeah, I was I don't want to say half-assed, but there was something there that that felt strange. I felt like the editing was weird because I couldn't really tell what was going on. And then it would cut to Burnham, and it was just almost like as though they were just kind of like held each other's shoulders, kind of push each other around. It, I found it actually rather shocking that she was killed. Um, because it was always unclear as to what her role was going to be going forward with the show. And it, a, a pretty inglorious end to what would otherwise actually be like probably a very revered character in the universe. If you kind of, you know, if, they, if you had a whole other show with her and just to be just boom, just dead and you leave the body behind like that. I'm sure also, you'll be able to read the 50 novels that'll come out. Yeah, that's oh, probably yeah. I think it's IDW that has the comic book yeah. rights. I'm sure we're going to see like whole series of, you know, when she was an ensign and yeah, she was at Starfleet. But also, I also found it, I was rather surprised that they killed off. What's the Klingon's name again? Takuma. Takuma, yeah. Um, because that, that was exactly what they were not trying to do. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, and, and Jeff, you're right, like, like the fact that, that Burnham killed him sort of in the, this moment of, of passion in a way was, I thought, you know, pretty interesting way to start the, the series because that was kind of the whole point was to not kill him. And the fact they go, it's like, ah, damn, you know. So an interesting way to, shall we say, end and start the series, maybe, you know, I'm very intrigued and I'm very compelled by, by this Burnham character. And that's, that's really what I want to see going forward because there's a lot of contradictions in this character but they, they feel like natural contradictions not like oh it's just like the writing is bad and like she does one thing and does the other I think there's a lot of conflicts in this character that I think have really come out and I kind of hope we explore this a little bit more yeah I I, uh, I hope we explore that more and I, I I think we must and the reason why I think we must is because there's no reason to start the show in this manner 
Unless you will. With, unless you will. Yeah, otherwise it'd be like, whatever, we'll start episode three and we'll have 13 episodes and, you know, the reason for that. And I, I, I'm, I, I expected Captain George U to die because, you know, I knew that Michelle Yeoh was just a guest star. I think I heard that. No, you know, we didn't know she died, but like, she I was the captain of the Discovery. It's not just that. So, I think they did themselves a big disservice. She should have been the, the, ti- in, in the title sequence at the beginning, she should have been the first character at the start. Yeah. And then yeah. that would have been a little bit of shock because once you say, oh, special appearance by Michelle Yeoh, you automatically... You're right, exactly. That. So they could have, well, Sonika Martin Green ha- have the title cards change. But they would have needed to, but they did, but then we need to go back because we knew all the way back that the main character was going to be not a cat, not the captain, was going to be the first or second officer of the ship. That was how it was always going to be. That was how it was always set up. Like, so we knew that, and and we knew that. I I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's a shame because she was so good. Yeah, she was really good. She was so good, and 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 it's like, God damn it, she's dead. And like, I wanted to see a show with her. Like, she's so good. But on the other side, that's what makes it so good that they killed her. Is like now I'm like I'm in a lurch right now. Like I I knew she was going to bite. It. Be careful what you wish for. You know, yeah. Qui Gon was one of the best aspects of the prequel trilogy. He died off. What did we? What were we left with? <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, I'll take Jason Isaacs over Hayden Christensen any fucking day of the week. Thank you very much. I think we'll still get. I think that they actually might do the occasional flashback to her, though. I, and that's what I, I think uh, as well, just from a couple of other things that I've heard, not spoilers, but just, well, I'm not going to say anything. But anyway, what's great is like, as soon as, I mean, I'm left in the, like right now, like I, I got to see the next goddamn episode. And part of that is because she died. I'm like, ah, shit, she was so good. Like, ah, I'm mad, but I have such an emotional response. And I don't know that I've ever had this emotional response to a pilot, to a Star Trek pilot. like. Every Star Trek pilot from all all the other series, very similar. I mean, except for TNG, little, or not TNG, the original series, because things were different back then. But, you know, we get our standard introduction to every single character who's a bridge officer. And they all get their sort of little mini arc in the pilot. And we get their exposition to the backstory. And usually it's, it, it really sucks. It's boring. And it's like, well, okay, well, we'll give them time because they got to develop the characters. And usually they do. And in this case... It opens with a bang, and fuck, we get a character who's goddamn awesome, and oh, sorry, she's now dead. And I'm like, ah, Jesus. And I got that emotional response that I never had for in a pilot, and it, I, I love it, and it's driving me crazy at the same time. And that's also why I love it. It's great. So, so that's the end of the show. So let's talk about couple of the overarching items here uh, before we wrap up. So I don't really know how a subtle way to bring it up, but I've been reading comments online. Did this feel like Star Trek to you guys? Uh, Harry? Star Trek has to change, though. Does it not? Yeah. Goddamn right it does. The, the good the good thing here is it, it, it felt like both. It felt like something that was... You know, we mentioned, you know, you got that feeling of JJ Trek, but I also felt, especially in the first episode... Where I felt I was talking about those, those allegories to, you know, terrorism, to military confrontation, to shades of gray between right and wrong, to that quick judgment of conflict. I liked where some of these themes were coming from, and I'm looking forward to that exploration in addition to what we're going to get with further exploration of the characters that we're going to get to know. And this is, so I'm, to me, that's Star Trek. I like that. So yes, I think this is Star Trek. 
It's just going to be different. You can't do TNG anymore. Honestly, the show is going to be more like DS9. A modernized version of DS9 is my gut feel of where this show is going to go. Which is interesting because I thought they were saying they're going to try and return back to its optimistic view of Trek. In a sense. I'm not sure if they said that or if I'm just thinking this is what Orville is going to be. I can't recall where I'm hearing that from. So it's going to be interesting to see where this is really going to traject, and I'm really looking forward to it. I think it is Trek, but it's different Trek, and that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Otherwise, it will not last, Yeah, because I have a feeling the Orville will not last. Oh, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Nathan, what, what do you think? Well, just speaking about the Orville, I mean, I only uh, watched like half the pilot with the sound off, and I'm surprised it's even getting past that, to be perfectly honest. But is this Trek? Yeah, there's. I, I still feel like it's Star Trek in many ways. You know, I mean, I, I love Deep Space Nine, and it's a huge deviation from w- what Trek theorists would say you know everybody gets along and you know in a lot of hope and i but i think that ds9 it's still kind of cracked the code this i'm a little bit mixed on it because i think that there are many elements that are very strong that i don't even think that enterprise was able to get right but then it kind of fell into some other areas that I, I kind of feel are a little bit more Abrams-esque. But like overall, I'm like, this, it still kind of feels like Star Trek, but there's there's like some elements missing that I wish that they had added, perhaps. And it's a little nebulous. But I have to give it time, though, right? No, I, I, I agree. And it does. Oh, absolutely. And it's not like, well, I don't know. It's kind of okay or blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm still very compelled overall by the whole show. And I'm very excited to see where it goes. Because, you know, like, certainly when, when DS9 came on, I mean, didn't have a lot of options for TV. And, you know, and I'm, I, I probably at the time, it kind of gave it, it's like, probably wasn't too hot on. It's like, oh, it's kind of whatever. But, I mean, I grew to truly love Deep Space Nine. I mean, and there's many arguments to be made that's better than, than TNG. We don't have to get into that here. But, I mean, I think sometimes with certain shows, like, you can kind of watch the pilot and it's like, oh, I don't know, I could go other way. And then once the show progresses, you can kind of look back on it. It's like, oh, okay, now I really see what they're, what they're doing. And I have a couple of shows that are kind of like that, where, like, I don't really like the first few episodes. But when I first watch them, but after seeing like the whole series or even just the first season, like, oh yeah, I, now I, I totally buy into it. So, I mean, I'm, I think that absolutely Trek needs to change. If it, you know, if you don't, if all of you die, right? And I, I think we live in a different television era now. And so if Trek is not going to do some new things and take some risks, like, then, then don't even do it then. Yeah, this was right. Cool. If they're just going to do ballsy. I yeah. love it. Oh, it's a, it's a huge risk. And I'm glad they took that risk because I think if they had done like, like a complete ripoff, I mean, if, if they had done a complete ripoff, like even just TNG or something like that or Voyager, maybe I would have been so disappointed or even like Enterprise and Enterprise again was, was trying to move around the formula only so much and still be very Star Trek. And I, when I go back and watch that pilot now, it doesn't really work for me, but this like, yeah, work for me, even like on, even on a basic level, it's very enjoyable, you know, for all any other quibbles you might want to talk about like what is it star trek or whatever it just it absolutely works as 
pilot and the show. Yeah, just for my two cents, I think that I agree with Nathan Ari. It works very well as a pilot and as a TV show. I mean, it's so cinematic. Does it feel like Star Trek for me? I mean, absolutely feels like Star Trek. I mean, tell me they, anybody who says this doesn't feel like Star Trek didn't watch a single second of Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine is Star Trek. Yeah, there were more shades of gray. It probably was not what Gene Roddenberry originally envisioned, but Deep Space Nine was still about the, the hope of humanity, the hope that we can be better than we were yesterday, that we strive to be better than we are today, and to you know to recognize that we're not perfect, but we can move forward. Like Deep Space Nine killed that. I mean, TNG in the original series, like we're all already perfect, and that's great, and and that was fine. Like that worked great for those shows, and and then Deep Space Nine and Voyager to an extent decided to explore well, what happens when we're not perfect, but we want to be, and this does feel more of an extension, a modernization of of Deep Space. Nine where like it's not black and white like just because we need to shoot first doesn't mean we're the bad guys necessarily maybe it's just what needs to be done but it, it does it needs to grow it needs to evolve and i'm glad that they did it like Harry, you said it a few times it was ballsy and star trek needs to be ballsy now if it's going to su- survive and succeed and i'm glad they did it i don't know if I don't know where it's going to go from here. I thought it was a really interesting choice to basically give us a two-hour prequel to what's going to be a Star Wars, a Star Trek series. Shit, so you know, great. I'm mean, good on them. So you know, another. Sorry, yeah, I just want to mention one thing too, because obviously we can't judge too early, and it takes, as I said, we have it takes time. Every show, not just Star Trek, will take a season or two to really find its footing. And mm-hmm. you know, we can all remember what season three, uh, episode three of C- of uh, TNG was, Code of Honor. That's the <laughs> Tasha Yar one, yeah. right? Code of Honor. Right, right. Oh, baby. So that's what it's called. So I just thought I'd remind everybody here that it does take time, even if people who are listening to this and say, no, I didn't see anything of Star Trek in there. Well, you know what? You might if you stick with it. And there was stuff even in this one that were representative of classic Star Trek. They were exploring some yeah. themes and they took some risks and that's what Star Trek is all about. Yeah. Yes. So let's everybody like any fans out there, let's just let's just chill the fuck out and give it a shot. I mean I read a lot I was surprised. I never read a lot of comments on again, I don't usually read comments online because I don't want to uh you know, jump through a window in a fit of rage, but I I read someone's like, This isn't Star Trek, I'm not watching like in all caps. I'm like, this is a person who didn't live through this Star Trek, like you didn't sit there, like you're telling me you sat there in 1987 and watched the encounter at Farpoint and was like, fuck this out. No, you sat through it. You're like, yeah, all right. And then you watched 24 episodes of season one, including Code of Honor and a, and a lot of other turds that were, that were squeezed out during that first season and season two. And you're going to tell me that you watched 90 minutes of this and like, it's not Star Trek when clearly they're much more evolved. Like, come on. Like, it, it's all nonsense. Cause you know, I, I've seen like that's plenty, that's plenty of, of articles from when TNG, even before it premiered, that like people hate it. It's like, it's not the original series. People like fans were pissed that they didn't, they were having the, the original series involved in, in like a new TV show. Who are these guys? Bald guy. We got a, got yeah. a black guy up in there. That's crazy. You know, I mean, it's like so two black guys, Klingon. two black There's guys. Yeah. I mean, it's so, I mean, it's insane. You got, you're always going to have that uh, sort of nonsense happen with, with any, any series. Those are garbage people that can't talk about it. I mean, this is well, yes, Star That's just, that's just the internet. That's just fandom. Sure. People are just, it's not that people oh, yeah, are stupid. Yeah. It's the fact that they're just passionate, right? They really yeah, want to see yeah. something. Cause they're yeah, all, but they it's also, not just the, no, no, true. It's what I was trying to point out. 
No, no, but people also really want it to get, they want Star Trek to be back. And not to, and obviously they're saying it needs to be familiar because they really miss it. Thank you, Mr. JJ, for really, you know, fucking things up. But, and that, that's part of the problem is they really want something of quality back. So they're scared of something different, right? Because that's yeah, where we went I down agree. with Nutra. You know, it, 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 so that's, that's where the fear lies. And it, just like, as you said, guys, like after a few C episodes, you know, everyone had problems with TNG and then they came back, came around and said it's a great show. So hopefully that yeah. this will, this will be the same case. If it can, if it continues as a high quality product. So I do have a quick question for you guys. And because this kind of goes to like, what will this show be? Harry Mudd is confirmed as a character for this series. Yeah. And it's such a bizarre character from TOS. Like, what does that kind of say about what this series is going to be? If you're going to introduce this type of a character to re or reintroduce this type of character, they'll probably reinvent well, him is my guess. It's probably not going to be what we saw in TOS. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm a little confused at the choice. I like Rain Wilson as as an actor who's going to be playing Harry Mudd. He's going to be it, it is a galactic Joker. That's kind of my guess. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, is it is it going to be like is he going to be the Heath Ledger uh, to uh, Caesar yes. Romero? Is you think that's what's going to happen? Yeah, I, I have a feeling that's what's going to happen. Because then the other because I was kind of wondering about like what are the Star Trek tropes. That are they going to bring back now? Jonathan Frakes is going to be directing. I think he has directed an episode, and he sort of accidentally dropped. But they're going to the mirror universe. Yeah, I remember. I hear. I heard that spoiler today. I was like, Ah, oh, Christ! Yeah, fuck you, Frakes. Yeah. yeah so I, again, yeah, should, that's awesome. No, should, they're going to do it. Yeah. Well, uh, well, totally. But I mean, like, is it? Are they going? Because I didn't. I never liked the way DS Nine did it. So, like, what do you think we're going to get with this series? Because again, it's very iconic, but it's also a very tough thing to do. You didn't like well, it's, a, it's a good. I loved it. I there were aspects of it that I liked, but I think I think I think it was actually the second episode where they did it that I didn't like it that much. It was the first episode I liked. I think for the DS Nine uh, multiple episodes that they did in the Mirror Universe, I was disappointed. But I think they actually did it right because I think I read a I read a I read a novel when I was in uh, junior high school, a Star Trek novel where it was uh, TNG in the mirror universe. Yeah, and uh, you know, like it was on the Enterprise D, with, you know, Captain Picard, and it was, you know, it was the mirror, you know, the dark version of the Enterprise D, and it was really cool. I mean, obviously not canon. Oh, they just they just put out a comic book. Of of like the mirror universe TNG and like it's amazing awesome. the way like Picard's got like he's got like no sleeves on he's like really buff and stuff like that. It, like, yeah, well, that's awesome. I wonder if it's based on that novel. I actually listened to the I actually had the audio book of that novel which was uh, read by John Delancey, so it was really rad because he does an awesome Patrick Stewart. But awesome. anyway, um, I was thinking of some of the other tropes. Like, what about time travel? Do you think we'll get any of that? Well, I, here's the thing: is is as I as I was uh, going to say, I mean, it's hard. It's really hard to say because obviously we're going to be telling the story of the of the Klingon conflict. And I was wondering if we were going to get some time travel alternate universe stuff. Remember in the episode, in, in this pilot, when they were trying to scan the Klingon beacon, and there was, they couldn't get a reading on it, it was fuzzy on the screen, there was some interference, and I was just like, what's going on here? Is there, I just got kind of an a strange vibe, like a time travel alternate universe vibe from that. So I'm wondering if, if something like that's going to play into it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it because I've seen. Yeah, I think that had more to do with the visual. Yeah. So I felt I like that way too. 
Yeah, I think it was more like the way they visually represented it. Like it almost, it actually almost looked like a hole at times. Though it was like a like a hole yeah. in time continuum. But I think it was. I truly think it was just really more just a sensor disruption as well. But what was the explanation for that though? Because the surrounding visuals. Nothing else is disrupted on that screen, though. No, but they could physically look at it, though, right? Remember, they at the telescope. Well, just because of, they could I, physically, I, yeah, yeah, that's. I think it had more to do with like, well, when they see it on the screen, it's actually the the ship scans it and interprets it as like a visual medium yeah, that they yeah, can. Yeah. That was that was the way yeah, I saw. That's fair. That's. I'm excited to see where we go. I mean, it is kind of funny that you know we're past pilots. And we really don't have a goddamn clue what's going to happen. Now, like we have no idea what's going on. Well, can I can I mention something? Did you guys see that? No, shut up. Okay, but did you guys see that? No, go ahead. Trailer for the preview of the rest of the season or upcoming episodes? Oh, I did not. No. Okay, so I w- I won't say much, but I think the most interesting aspect will be is who is Jason Isaacs really going to play? Like obviously he'll be playing this captain, mm-hmm. but it mm-hmm. seems like he could be a Jericho type, you know, like Captain Jericho or mm-hmm. you remember, you remember Jellico or Jellico. That's it. He yeah. could be a Jellico type, like kind of like a, a war mad crazy guy bent on destruction and chaos and violence at all costs kind of thing. And I think mm. that could be a very interesting dynamic moving forward. See, and that's interesting because we've already established Michael Burnham as being all right with being a mutineer. So that's yeah. where maybe the show is going to reside. That's where they're going to rest its laurels and explore, you know, Burnham's kind of, maybe she'll, she started off this way and then she'll revert back to a little bit more of a person who respects the, you know, mortal core of Starfleet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, or uh, or even perhaps Isaac is actually playing Jellico from the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, no, actually, I have kind of read that though, Harry. Like, and that I'm kind of excited about this this aspect of like we don't know much about this character and might be mysterious again a deviation from Trek, which I want to see how well it fits into you know the the, the track world. Yeah, so I think that'll be very interesting moving forward. So we're we're going to get a lot of exploration on on these kind of concepts, and I'm really looking forward to it. Very exciting. Yeah, let's start to to wind it in. One thing I did want to ask you guys: so we now have uh, six, maybe seven, depending on how you want to look at it, pilots of Star Trek series. Uh, where does this rank of pilots for, for Star Trek? Uh, Nathan, why don't you, you know, off the top of your head, rank the pilots for us and where this fits in? Oh, boy, it's totally unfair without any uh, forewarning here. Um, well, you should already have ranking in your head if you're a true Trek fan. Yeah, <laughs> I should have already had the spreadsheet out and already ranked every <laughs> single episode. I would say, oh, boy, I, I would actually... As of right now, and this may change in the future, this is actually kind of my favorite Star Trek pilot. Partly, I think part of this is the fact that it's a little more modern. And then after that, uh, I would rank TNG and then DS9, TOS, and then Voyager Enterprise. What are we counting as the actual pilot for TOS? Now is it? it well, oh, I was gonna say where I was gonna say where no man has gone before. Like, that, that's that, that's Kirk versus his friend, right? Like the, the yeah, Gary Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that, that's that's the episode I'm kind of rating as the yeah, the, the pilot. Is it my turn? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll go worst to best. So the worst would be Enterprise. Then I'd probably say TNG, Encounter at Farpoint, as second worst. Moving up the ladder, I'll probably say Voyager. Then Where No Man Has Gone Before TOS, then DS9, and then this one is the best cream of the crop for the pilots for Star Trek. 
Interesting. For me, uh, going worst to best, I'm going to say Caretaker, Voyager as the worst, then Broken Bow, Enterprise, Counter Farpoint, TNG there, and then I'm going to say Where No Man Has Gone Before, and then DS9, I don't remember what the episode was, and then and then this one I think ranks... Emissary, yeah, I think that's what, yeah, and then, uh, and yeah, and then, uh, and then this one I think ranks at the top. I wasn't sure it was going to rank that high for all of us, but yeah, I think it's a solid, a solid start. So, any other, any final thoughts or or other questions, discussion points you guys want to bring up, Harry? Anything else in the toolkit you want to bring up here? Uh, no, I'm just really excited that it's back. I hope that Discovery treats. So far, it looks like it's treated it with respect, but again, I have a real bone to pick with marketing on CBS. Not only did they fuck mm-hmm. up the celebration of the 50th anniversary of Trek, but I really don't think they marketed this very well. I mean, forget all the bullshit with the CBS All Access stuff. But if that means getting it on that streaming service means to this level of budget and quality, then I'm all for it. But they're not marketing it well. And mm-hmm. I have a big problem with that. And they're losing a lot of chance to get people into the show. I, I thought I was in for a shit show for this. And yeah. this was a great pilot. And it's crazy that they didn't market it that way. Star Trek is a difficult property to market well because the fandom is so touchy. Like, as we've talked about, right? Like, they're really, really particular. And it's like every single fan has such particular needs and wants for what the exact images they want to see for a Star Trek TV show. And if they don't get that, they're often disappointed. And now with social media, you know, and, and the internet, it, it spreads like wildfire when, when something negative happens. And like these, these, these you know, lots of guys like, I don't want to, I'm not trying to disparage anybody who might be listening who is a Star Trek fan. I mean, we're doing this because, you know, we love it. We love the show. We love Star Trek. Like, obviously, uh, you know, we're not trying to, to take a dump on anybody who also loves it. But it's a, you know, if you're a Star Trek fan, you need to look in the mirror and know you are a particular guy. Or, or, or curl. And that I can understand makes the studio nervous. Like, how do we market to this group of people who are so particular while also trying to grow it? Like, we it's want it to grow. Star Wars. But it, you can, you can say it. You, you can say it That's about Star Wars. You, well, here's the thing. I, I don't think it's, I'm not trying to say it's an excuse, but like, I, I understand that it's, it's difficult because you want to, you also want to grow it, right? Like, and, and us as the fans, we want it to grow. We want it to be big, we want it to be exciting. And I don't think it's easy. So I guess that, that wraps it up for Star Trek Discovery, gentlemen. I don't know that we want to necessarily, I mean, obviously, I think we all have good reviews, so we can recommend it. I know we usually give rare antiquity ratings. I don't know if that's necessarily applicable here, Harry. What I think it's, I think, no, I think uh, you could, I think we're all on the same page here. This is probably the best pilot out of all of them. So in my opinion, considering what was at stake here for Star Trek, I think this is a rare antiquity. Mm. And I think we can agree on that. Yeah, I think you're right. Rare, rare antiquity. Yeah. yeah Stamp, sealed, I, and approved. I agree. And you view it with all the other pilots. I mean, it's it's rare to get a Star Trek pilot. like, And it's actually like kind of quite a bit better than any other. It's not like, well, it's kind of better than the other ones. It's like it's quite a bit better than the other Star Trek pilots. Yeah, we're going to do sort of a, a mid-season uh, recap about halfway through the season just to uh, recap what we've seen so far. And then we'll do a wrap-up. 
at the end of season one to, to kind of go over the second half and obviously overall uh, what we're going to do. So that's uh, that's our plan. So they stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll probably do the mid-season wrap-up. I think the show is going to be on the mid-season hiatus around November, and then we'll pick up in January to finish in, I guess, uh, March, and we'll do the, the wrap-up then. So should be uh, should be a lot of fun. No, looking forward to it. Right on. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think that's it, gentlemen. So for next time on uh, Podcast Sobrera Antiquities, we are going to be getting back to our regular uh, reviews for, for, for films. So we're going to be going back to the uh, film noir age, and we are going to take a look at the film Double Indemnity. Oh, interesting. Okay, I never heard of it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. No, it's the uh, same director as, as Sunset Boulevard, which we did a number of episodes ago. So oh, great. should be a good one. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be good. Uh, all right. Well, thanks, guys, for, for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Glad we got to, to dig into a specific Star Trek episode, and I uh, definitely look forward to the next one. As do I. All right. All right. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, thanks, thanks for... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Steve, but then Nathan, that was great. Uh, I, I didn't know what to say there. No, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's late. It's yeah, <laughs> see, see you on Gravetta Island? I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, it was fun, boys. It was fun. Thanks for coming, guys. Okay, talk yeah. to you soon. I'll talk to you later.